Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, we're starting to have nice days out. It's been sunny in Seattle and nice weather, even though we're uh, at the very beginning of spring. Normally, it's real, real dreary. And I just thought I, we'd kick back and talk about some random things on the podcast and see where it goes. What do you say, Berto? That sounds lovely, actually. All right. So this first one is from Patron Dylan. It's, a, it's an email from Patron Dylan. What is this, by the way? This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and someone who likes to look out an office that has nature in it. Oh, that's still lovely. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I grow honey goat's milk cheese. So Dylan wrote, I think it would be great to hear you talk even briefly about people who tend to guilt trip and how to deal with them respectfully. I know someone who can be presumptuous about how much time they are owed from other people with busy schedules, such as expecting attendance at events that they are hosting. And then they will go on to say how disappointed they are that not enough people stepped up to the plate and came to my party. Berto, <laughs> what do you think? Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's a very interesting one. So this person had a party. Yeah. And not enough people showed up. Yeah. And then there's a Y in the road, right? Like you could be like, all right, you know, I can roll with this. Uh, you could be upset. Man, I mean, I've had, I've had kind of both versions. I've had ve- many variants of this. I've had parties that I set up, like one time, many, many years ago, I set up a birthday party for myself. And I invited like 30 people. And I paid for everything. And a lot of them showed up. Like at a like, restaurant? Yeah, at the t- Wild Ginger in Seattle. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's an expensive restaurant. And like 20 people showed up, or 25. I don't know, a lot of people. And I paid for the whole thing. Cost me a fortune. Like food and drinks. Yes. Must have been thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of money. And most of them don't give a shit about me. They're not my friends. Many of them were coworkers. Why'd you invite them? Because I needed to be loved. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I mean, I, I had a birthday party and I felt like I'm just going to throw this crazy big birthday party. I mean, I obviously invited a lot of my friend friends, but I also invited a lot of these people that were just my coworkers. Um, many of them worked on my team, so they probably felt obligated to show up to the boss's, boss's party. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, we don't have a very large honey goat's milk creamery but it's large enough to where these people might have felt like you know their job might have been at stake or something i certainly didn't say anything to that extent but but you know it was a weird thing because i actually enjoyed the party i had fun you know i was laughing all these things when you paid the bill the next day did you regret it no but (laughs) i had a friend i i had i have this person in my life that always points out it's kind of like the the jester, the court jester. So he was just like bluntly like, huh, so you're uh, buying some love tonight or something along those lines, right? And I was like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, then it kind of started like digging at me. I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. Like, this is kind of weird. Right. It's one thing to invite a bunch of randos to your party. Right. It's another thing to pay hundreds of dollars for 
randos to eat and drink and blah blah blah. Right. Like they like they right. could have paid for it if it's not totally. like if each of them paid for their bill. But this is some and I'm, I'm sorry I'm veering off the not enough people showed up, but I'm going to loop back around to it. But this used to be a pattern I used to have a lot, which is I would be at a bar and I would all of a sudden buy drinks for totally random strangers that have done nothing nice for me or will do nothing nice for me. And I guess in my mind, there was this association between if I spend money, people will love me. And I've, when I was in therapy and all these things, I, I talked with my therapist about how it was probably because that was the pattern I saw from my mom's side of the family is they would buy me lots of gifts. My mom would send me lots of clothes and gifts. And I, I, probably subconsciously picked that up like okay if i spend money people will love me right? right but i've also had kind of the other side of the the equation which is uh events or parties where a lot of people were supposed to show up and a lot of them didn't show up i guess based on the my personality i never take it too hard and i sort of always just kind of just enjoy myself but I could, I could relate to that feeling inside of like, well, I guess a lot of the people I thought that cared about me or or this event really didn't care, right? And so it's sort it, of it, an awakening, right? Well, so it hurts totally. Everybody, when you throw a party and you invite people, you get your hopes up, and no one comes, it hurts your feelings, and that's that's normal, that's universal. But how do we cope with that? That's what that's what illuminates yeah. our attachment style. So when we have a uh, attachment style like yours, then you you feel hurt on the inside and you're like, well, geez, maybe I'm not as lovable as I thought I was. Or maybe people don't like me as much as I thought people liked me. Well, and, and actually, the, the thing for me was that my experience of this was sort of like this reverse situation where, sure, people showed up, but and but then well, I'm not talking about that. that I'm talking about a situation when you had a party and people didn't come. I know, I know, but I'm actually saying how like you can feel hurt even if people showed up. Right. In this case, I think I was more hurt in the long term by by realizing, oh my gosh, these people that showed up, drank all my wine and ate all my food, they don't give a shit about me. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same vein of hurt but in a different way. Yeah. It almost would have been better if they didn't show up and spent all my money, right? And in the other case, it's like you want these people to show up because maybe they're your closest friends and they didn't show up. And then you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, right. right. So it illuminates your attachment style. And if you're the more secure you are, the more likely you are to just be like, well, you know, I guess they're too busy, you know, I, or maybe maybe I overestimated my appeal on this issue. Right, right, right. It would just be more balanced and less fraught. Yeah. Uh, but if you grew up with early mistreatment that led you to cope with mistreatment by alerting others to your pain. You know, when you're two years old and you're being ignored or you're being treated inconsistently, for some kids, they will learn the way I can get my needs met is if I exaggerate my problems. You know, when I'm when I cry, I cry big. Mm. When I'm upset, I get very noticeable. When I am angry, I have a temper tantrum that lasts for 10 minutes. Oh, wow. And this can become neurological where it, it becomes just automatic response to the situation. Huge drama. Right, drama. And so when you're an adult and you feel neglected by everyone who didn't come, 
you can resort to that by saying, you know, by doing guilt trips, by, by getting angry at them, and maybe even verbalizing that to other people, because you're trying to alert the world that you are being neglected, mm. and you're, you're framing it that way. Right. You know, that's the guilt trip that Dylan's asking about. It, it's saying, it's their fault. It's not my fault. It's, yeah. their, it's also kind of a narcissistic thing of just like, it can't possibly be me. Right. It has to be them. There must be something incompetent or deficient in the other people that they didn't show mm. up. It couldn't, and it must be a flaw of theirs. Right. It can't possibly be that they were too busy or they don't like me as much as I thought they did. Right. Or, they didn't advertise this properly right. or plan it far enough in advance. Or, right. It, it mu- there must be something wrong with them, and that you develop that worldview early in life in response to mistreatment. So, Dylan, that's how I would conceptualize that. Did, did anyone ever miss your birthday? Did anyone like ever in miss- your family? Like, did, did, did your family ever miss your birthday? <laughs> no, but I wouldn't have been. So, two things I'll say about that was is that there were four kids in my family, and there were times when like one time and I, I always hold this over my, my family's head every summer we would go to Spokane for a whole week uh, for like nine days because my parents grew up in Spokane and got married in Spokane. My older siblings were born in Spokane. For those that don't know, it's across the state. It's like six hour drive East. That's right by Yakima, right? It's past Yakima. Yakima is in central Washington. I'm just kidding. Oh. It's a, it's a. Do you remember Patrick and Anne? Yeah, it's an inside joke with them that if they ever. Oh, I'm listen so glad this, you said an inside joke with if, two other randos. If they that, ever listen to this podcast, they'll be the only ones laughing. <laughs> I roll. So the um, we would go over there once a week and and stay with grandparents and cousins and everything. And I'm hanging around downstairs in my room, and I hear all this hustle and bustle uh-huh. Saturday morning. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on up there. And so I, I you know, I'm, I'm in my pajamas and I kind of walk upstairs and I'm, I'm looking around and everyone's packing the van. You're describing home alone right now. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I say, what's everyone doing? And my mom turns to me. She's like, Kirk, get ready. We're going. <sighs> and I'm like, no one told me. We were going to Spokane. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Which is a product of having too many kids. Sure. Not having, like, a Twitter account for your family to, like, announce things. You know what I mean? Because, like, you you just figure as a parent, well, of course the kids have heard. Right. You know, they... We've, they we're all... The six of us live in a small house. We've been talking about it. Right. Of course he knows... (laughs) <laughs> but I hadn't even so so in some ways. Are you the second youngest? I'm the third. Okay. Oh, or the second youngest. I'm the third out four. of four. I'm right. the third. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the middle forgotten child. Yeah. You know. Um, also, a number of times my mom would mess up our names, and so <laughs> she would call me Mark, Colleen, Kevin. That's hilarious. Pfeffer the dog. <laughs> No way. I'm not even joking. Pfeffer, come here. So Pfeffer. my mom would go, my mom would go, Mark, Colleen, Kevin, Pfeffer. I mean, Kirk. <laughs> you know, because as a parent, you're like, oh you God. have all these pets, you right, have all these kids, right, like you're right. going to mess things up. Right. So on some level, 
I could absolutely imagine myself having <laughs> my, my birthday forgotten. On the other hand, my mom took birthdays and Very holidays serious. extremely seriously. I see. I mean, we got gifts on Valentine's Day and Boys Day, which is a Japanese thing. Oh. We got, I think we even got gifts sometimes on like Groundhog's Day or something. Like, <laughs> like my mom, gay, she went all out. Okay. So for our birthdays, it was elaborate. I see. So there wouldn't be that. Well, I, one of my birthdays was missed. And I, unlike you, I was the only child in the household. <laughs> Did you know it was missed? Yeah. How old are you? Um, so it's hard for me to pin it down exactly, but I think I was 10. So what 80s movie did is this a central plot point in? Isn't this uh, 15 16 candles? Yeah, 16 yeah. candles. Yeah, Molly so, Ringwald is like, "Oh my god, my my parents, family forgot right. my birthday." So, I think I was 10. Uh so here is I'll tell you my experience and then I'll tell you the context. Married. Sheesh. <laughs> lake, big lake. Totally offensive <laughs> totally Asian offensive. character. But I still laugh at it. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, the 80s were, were an offensive decade. Flat. <laughs> so I wake up in the morning on my birthday. And, of course, I'm aware that it's my birthday. And, you know, when you're little, you just assume the world knows that it's your birthday. Right. Right? Because you're the most important thing in the world as far as you know. Well, it's not a stretch to think that your parents would re- – or your dad right. would remember your birthday. Let alone your parents because yeah. you think the whole world does. So – so I wake up, I'm like, it's my birthday, and nothing, no one says anything in the morning. So I'm thinking, surprise oh, party. they're dealing with a little surprise. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. I go to school. I'm excited. You know, I get home, and I'm thinking. At what point does Jake Ryan show up? Jake Ryan? From 16 Candles. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, he was uh, kissing me in the car. <laughs> if you believe you would deceive you. <laughs> I covered that song. It's on my SoundCloud, Kirk Honda. Oh. So I go to school. Everything's fine. And I'm thinking when I get home, that's I'm, I'm going to get home and there's going to be this huge surprise. Get home. There's no surprise. No one says anything. I'm thinking, okay, it's a little more elaborate. Like they're doing oh it at dinner God. or something. And dinner comes around. And we're sitting there eating dinner. No one's saying anything. Oh, my God. Now I'm starting to really suspect that, like, but it seems so unbelievable. My dad, my grandma, her sister, my grandpa, everyone forgot? Well, and your mom, right? Did she ever call you? No, no. She would never call me on my birthday. Oh, God. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Yeah. Okay. I'm sitting there. Well, I don't know if it's never, but I don't remember. Oh, yeah, my mom would call me. I don't remember it, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay. This is weird. So I say something. I say, so do you guys know anything that was today or something like that? (laughs) And I think then like my grandma realizes and she nearly has a heart attack and they all start realizing and they all start feeling terrible. All right. So that was my experience. It was a horrible day, right? What I realized later is. This was all around the time where my grandpa was starting to have some really bad health problems, and they had been to the clinic. I think even that day he had had to go to the hospital, all these things. This was when his health really started declining. So I think my family was like really dealing with some like difficult issues, and me as a kid, I was sort of insulated from it. Mm. But my experience was my family forgot my fucking birthday. 
it was so hard, man. I was so sad and like, yeah, that's awful. They didn't have gifts. They didn't have a cake, nothing, right? So I'm like, oh my God. But I get it. If you're really struggling, like I could imagine your dad like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Umberto's birthday is, is next week. And then stress and work. All this stuff, right. And then it's like, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're just like, oh, you know. Yep. I, I, you know, because you can also see your dad being like, well, I don't need to write it in the calendar. I know when my son's birthday right. is. Well, and this is also at a time where, uh, because maybe I was 11. Maybe I was 11. But it's also at a time where, like, money was no longer, like, flush at all, right? Yeah. So my dad, first of all, he probably wouldn't have bought me a gift or would have been, like, just 200 pesos or something which he would have then borrowed immediately. So it's like... Right. So that's another factor I don't know if you're thinking about is that your dad, we would speculate, had a drug addiction. and some, Yeah, some level of addictions or something, yeah. Gambling, have, potentially drugs, all these things, yeah. But likely yeah. drugs and could have interfered with his cognitive ability. That's true, yeah. I don't know. So the whole, the whole package when you put it together was unbelievable. Do you still guilt trip your dad about that? No, I've brought it up, and then I think he he didn't quite remember it, and then I I was like, yeah, that happened, like that was crazy. Our birthday's a big deal in Bogota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a big deal. So I'm sorry that happened, bro. So I can relate to people not showing up to your party. Yeah. So moving on, uh, I made a new intro song to the podcast. Some of you out there might have already mm. been hearing it. But Berto, I thought I'd play it for you here. Okay. <laughs> I'm already laughing because I just think it's just hilarious. But let's see. Let's hear it. Psychology in <laughs> Seattle. Psychology Wait, I, in... Sorry, I, I accidentally replayed it. That's nice. <laughs> but what do you think? Oh, it's very Gregorian. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got the right attitude. I don't. I can't evaluate it objectively, and so this is. I played it for Stacy, my okay. wife, but you're the and she's my wife, so she's gonna be you know brutally mean to me. No oh, joking. Okay. She's, <laughs> she's gonna be nice, but just objectively, if every time you click on a Psychology in Seattle podcast, that's what you hear, uh, is that gonna get annoying over time? I don't know. I think you're gonna have a lot of people that have gotten used to the tink 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 tink. You know, yeah. from your uh, band song, and they might miss that because it's kind of a, a you know like it's a trigger. You're like, okay, that's I associate that with the. Uh, but then once they get over that, then the next question is: I think when they first hear this, it'll probably be like, ha ha, that's funny, that's neat. I don't know if it gets old. I I can't answer that because <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Like for example, Philip DeFranco, one of the guys I really like on YouTube, he used to have a theme song. And over the years, the theme song changed, and eventually he, he finally got rid of the theme song. So now when his episodes start, there's no theme song. Right. Well, this, but this is, is on YouTube. This is on all of them. Yeah. So this is, be, this is only like seven seconds long. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. So, uh, audience, let me know what you think about it. I have always wanted to do something like this, but never it's had to. It's rich. It's, it's, it's lush. <laughs> and I never had the time. And so now that I got done with the attachment deep dive, I finally had a little bit of time and I actually just sat down in a couple hours and, and wrote this thing. And, nice. <laughs> and the other thing I'll say about this is that there's a secret code <gasps> in the tune. Oh. So 
Don't tell me. The, well, of course. Okay. The first person who figures it out and emails me, you get a prize. Oh, my God. I want to figure it out, but I won't tell anyone. Yeah. Actually, uh, uh, at the very least, so you get to choose your prize of the kingdom, but at the very least, we'll read whatever you want us to read on the air. All right. But there's a secret code. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. But I, I need to have the file somewhere so I can hear it. Well, you got to listen to the podcast, I guess. Uh, when is the first episode that will have this? It's already happened, I believe. Oh, it has? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, by the time this right. is heard, okay, it will okay. have already happened. It will have happened at the beginning right. of this episode. Um, uh, the other thing is, is that starting June 1, we're going to increase the cost of our different tiers on Patreon. So if you want to get the cheaper tier cost... Become a patron soon. Like if you, the different swag swag levels, right, right, everything's gonna get bumped up. Inflation, yeah. Also, we have reached our other Patreon goal. That's so, crazy. So we're gonna offer yet another, another scholarship, scholarship for twenty five hundred dollars. We will announce it some point in the future. And we we started a new goal, and this one will be both a scholarship, a two thousand dollars scholarship. And a thousand dollar donation to Pet Finder, mm. which saves pets from being euthanized. Yeah, I want to remind everyone: we've already given thousands of dollars to help animals, uh, students in need, LGBTQ youth, the homeless, etc. All right, mini question from Lyndon. He asks, Berto, famous patron Lyndon, that is FPL. Berto. What are your thoughts on the portrayal of Columbia, particularly Bogota, in American movies? Yeah, yeah. Certainly, uh, when I was in Columbia and we would watch movies like Romancing the Stone, we would all have a sad laugh about it because uh, that movie in particular... Uh, Romancing the Stone is in Columbia? It's supposed to be. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> Michael Douglas. Yeah, I... I I loved that movie, yeah, but that so was fun. like, I was like 12, Yeah, and I'm sure like it doesn't 10. hold up. I mean, I watched it 10 years ago. It wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was, as far as an 80s movie goes, it was good. But yeah, so it was supposed to take place in, in Colombia, in Cartagena and the jungle nearby. Uh, but they pretty much filmed it in Mexico, you know, at least a lot of it. I don't know where all the little locations, but so when we were watching it, not only was it not did it not look like the right location, but the accents were Mexican accents. So in the theater, we were all like, oh, come on, you know, like that kind of thing. And that would happen often, which is that uh, you would show Colombians, but they would have Mexican accents. And In Narcos, for example. In Narcos. Well, Narcos is even worse in that. I mean, and I say this as, imagine that you are, in a different country that doesn't speak English, and you're watching a movie where they're showing the the royal, uh, the British royalty, right? But they're talking with like Kansas accents, okay? In the other country that doesn't even speak English, and you're seeing the the translations, you don't care. You're like, wow, this is a good show. But if you're British and you're watching it, you're like, oh my god, this is terrible, right? So similarly. Um, I can't believe I'm com comparing Pablo Escobar to freaking British royalty. So that's not what I meant to do. But the guy who plays Pablo Escobar in Narcos is actually a Brazilian who who is p portraying this character. And so his accent is a mix of U.S. plus Brazilian Portuguese accent trying to do a Colombian accent. And it comes off like nothing similar to Colombian accent. And uh, someone who grew up here, my I have a, a brother who grew up here. 
he can't hear those little differences. So he thought he it was fine and he was doing a great job. And when I watched it, I could barely get over it, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially because I had seen this amazing one that they did in Colombia where the character, uh, of course, he's Colombian. He became Pablo Escobar. He did such a good job acting that it's sort of hard to detach it. So yeah, uh, the portrayal is usually, uh, usually it's all about drugs. You know, generally when Colombia's in the mix, it's about drugs or, um, or violence of some sort. And it's like, we don't see the movies where it's like the coffee grower and, and this, you know, um, or the lawyer or the lawyer or the physician no, or the no. restaurant tour no, 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 no. or the family that no. just exists right. in, in Bogota. Like James Bond, uh, uh, not the living daylights, but the other, uh, Timothy Dalton movie. Uh, you only remain li- alive seven times or something. <laughs> that one was, um, License to Kill, that one. That one was also a Colombian drug lord. Mm. And uh, in the Entourage series, you know, he's trying to play Pablo. So every time it's Colombia, it's usually about Pablo Escobar or drugs. It's usually people portraying the characters are usually, you know, Mexican actors. Uh, and that's mostly it. But you never, you rarely see sort of uh, aspects of Colombia, both beautiful and terrible, Things like the incredible poverty or the incredible natural beauty or any historical aspects or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break and go on with some more of famous patron Lyndon's questions. What do you say, Berto? Let's do it. All right. We're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron, do so now. Go to patreon.com. As I said, we have new tiers coming up June 1. Also, email us if you're having trouble with the premium feed at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Also, like our Facebook page and play our Tuesday Tougher Bluff game. Also, what else am I looking at here? Um, Join the Facebook fan group. Tweet Birdo at psych0birdo. Also, if you want archived episodes, one of the best ways is to go to the website. Uh, Question number two here is, are there any... Any air travel-related pet peeves, Berto? Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, air travel was like this glorious thing in my mind. It was sort of the thing that you did that uh, you had to have a bit of money because it wasn't cheap. But uh, I, one of my uncles was a pilot for a 747. He flew this 747 jetliner, you know, uh, Bianca was the Colombian company. And man, that thing was amazing. I got to ride in it once. I got to go in the cabin. I got to be upstairs, downstairs, the whole nine yards. It was amazing. So I always had this association. Oh, and by the way, and I thought, you know, pilots had this thing where you thought of an airline pilot as like, you know, up there with doctors and astronauts. You know, it was a high-end deal. Uh, Well, and it was, you know, you would go to the airport and you would have nice little waiting time you'd get in the airplane they'd had these nice meals everything seemed comfortable about it it well it, it objectively was yeah uh, right there was no security line right you, you it was very relaxing and I, this yeah. was up until not i mean i i remember a good amount of my life where you know in my family when someone would fly out of town everyone would go to the gate right so there'd be 30 of us at, <laughs> at the gate saying right. goodbye to somebody as they yep. walked down that the tunnel yep. Um, and the other, I think another key difference between now and back then is 
Now, th- with computers and overbooking, they know how to fill every seat. Oh, yeah. But I remember flying in airplanes in the in the 80s and the early 90s when it, I almost always had an empty seat next to me. Yep. Or there was some empty row yeah, yeah. that I could go to and be on my own. Totally. Now, that never happens. No, no. Like, getting an empty seat next to you in an airplane, you're just like, someone, someone must have died, yeah. you know, because why would there be an empty seat right. when, when they overbook these flights? <laughs> you know what I mean? It is crazy. And so, yes, first pet peeve, man, this happened to me, I think it was ten, like 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. I was going to go to Hawaii, dude. I had bought the tickets like a month in advance or something. I was going to be in an Ironman, not Ironman, but like a triathlon. It wasn't the Ironman, but it was like a triathlon. And I was supposed to leave Saturday or uh, let's see. Yeah, Saturday morning. And the competition was Sunday morning, started Sunday morning. And then I was going to be there for like the whole week. That was a Hawaii trip. This is before it was common practice to have to go online and uh, confirm your thing 24 hours in advance, right? So I showed up three hours in advance to the airport, and I go up to the ticket booth, and it was uh, U.S. Air. And I go up, and I'm like, all right, I'm here. Here's my thing. And like, oh, yeah, sorry, the, the flight is full. And I'm like, what do you mean the flight is full? I bought these tickets months in advance. Oh, yeah, I know. But like, did you confirm yesterday? I'm like, confirm? No, I'm here three hours in advance. The flight can't be full. I'm supposed to be in Hawaii. They're like, well, sorry, sir. No, I'm like, sorry. No, I need to be. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I got really upset. And they're like, well, and then they started like, well, here's what we could do. We could, you could take this other flight. We'll land you in Alaska. You will be in Hawaii by Monday. Oh, God. And I'm like, I this thing that I prepaid for, I'm doing on Sunday, I did everything right. And in the end, there was no way. Nothing. So the only thing they did is they gave me, they gave me $700 credit and a ticket to Vegas. Because I said, you know, I, they said, well, do you want a ticket somewhere else? I'm like, fine. And then I decided to go to Vegas and just like, you know, waste my tears away in Vegas. But I never got to go to Hawaii on that trip. Wow. So that was crazy. And so that was the beginning of the end of this kind of like, for me, uh, of course, 9-11 changed everything security-wise. That was pre-9-11? Yeah, that was pre... Uh, no, sorry. That was not pre-9-11, but that was pre, like, the obsession with online confirmations. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, just... Yeah. So 9-11, you're right. 9-11 kind of started us down this dark path of, like, flying will never be comfortable again. And then on top of that, overbooking became a thing. Right. And then nowadays, yeah, you better, 24 hours in advance, you better sign in right away and confirm that freaking flight. Right. And you better still be there way in advance because the security lines are crazy. Uh, it's, it's all these. And then the plane, now every seat's like cramped. Many of them don't give you meals at all. Yeah. Some of them don't even let you buy meals. It's crap. So... The overarching problem with the system is that the customer expects an extremely low price. Yeah. So when you have a populace who can, who while buying a, you know, whenever you're buying a ticket, yeah, how many people are like, mm, that airline has, you know, bigger seats. So I'll pay an extra $100 for that. Which, by the way, I was doing with Virgin America. 
Yeah, but, but not when, but ninety nine point nine 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 percent. That's of people, fair, and that's why they went under. <laughs> they they pick every people, especially yeah. online. They just pick the cheapest flight, and and so what yeah. what what you end up doing as a as a business, you're just like, well, how do we save? How do we offer the least price and still produce a a viable product? Yeah. Well, we start charging for checking bags. your bags. We start. Uh, cramming more seats in we yeah. we stop offering meals yeah we got to buy everything except water basically <laughs> right but people complain about that but i'm like well you understand it's our fault absolutely it's it is our fault slash the uh economy because people can't afford expensive flights and they still need to get from point a to point b and they don't make as much money as they used to and all these things right, right. and i gotta say i had found a little little paradise a little uh mirage if you will when uh american uh, virgin airlines was flying uh from seattle to san francisco that flight i took it so many times for like two years like almost every month and it was awesome because they were super nice i the ambiance was great i got to upgrade to first class so many times and and the the meals were good all these things and then towards the end of the two years I started noticing the meals started getting a little less good. And then I started hearing that they were being bought by Alaska. Then I started hearing, okay, they're going to start phasing this out. And then eventually it was gone. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So before I go into my pet peeves, of which there are many, I want to just start with some things that I like. Uh, because really, let's look on the bright side. I consider flight attendants to be saints. There are occasionally flight attendants who are jerks, but the vast majority of them are like the nicest, most accommodating. They smile big. Mm -hmm. They have to wait for you to take off your headphones. <laughs> they have to poke you and make you open your eyes and see if you, you know, make sure you put up, you know, there's so many things that they're dealing with. And they are just so nice and so, you know, giving and just, they just make it a much better situation. So I just want to commend any flight attendant people out there. Also, the flight itself is extremely smooth when you think about what is happening. Right. A, you know, a, I don't know how heavy an airplane is, but, you know, several tons or something. Yeah. This, this, this metal hunk it, with, with Full of luggage and, and bodies, hundreds of people inside. Manage, they manage to get it to take off exactly on time, sometimes early. And the takeoff is smooth. The you know cruising altitude is smooth. Occasionally there's some there's some turbulence, but you know when you consider like you're you're just hurtling through space, right? And and the fact and the landing is always almost always smooth. Um, it's it's just a marvel, really. Right. And they just do it over and over and over and over again. It's just, it's great. You know, and all the things that have to go into that. You think about the guy who fix, you know, maintenance, maintenance on the plane. Yeah. The guy who's flying, the, the woman who's flying the plane. The, the people who are making sure the luggage is packed just right. Yeah. You know, the people who are making sure it's fueled up and making sure that the planes are taking off in order and making sure they don't run in. It's just, it's just a... Uh, a marvel of of human ingenuity and technology and and democracy because you have to be able to work across c countries. You, the United States flight system 
works in Congress with the Russian and the Chinese yep. and I guess even the North Korean flight mm-hmm. system. Like we all work together on this. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing. So I'll say all that. And the temperature is usually pretty good too. Because um, think about like, when was the last time you're on a flight and, and you're like, my God, I'm hot. Or too cold. Yeah. Or, or like really too cold. Like sometimes yeah. it's a little, they keep it a little chilly, but it's yeah. like you, you make sure you have some layers. But like just think about how easy it would be for a heater to go out yeah. or I don't know. And it's just right. almost never that way. It's like it, it is, a you know, on a lot of levels, really great. Uh, most of my complaints are about other passengers, though. Uh, <laughs> the, one of the biggest things that bothers me is bag awareness. So people, oh. people will have a backpack on or something, uh-huh. and you're trying to get on or off the plane, <laughs> and they forget that they have a three, two-foot you know, appendage on their back. <laughs> and they turn. And they turn, and they just smack. They just smack you. I'm just like, come on. <laughs> uh, like, when I have a backpack, I, when I'm getting off the plane or on the plane, I put it on my chest mm. because I'm much less likely to whack someone with it. Interesting. <laughs> um, also, I hate airports now because it's hard to find someone to ask a question of. When I was in Orlando trying to fly home, there was a, you know, I talked about this on the Cuba episode, but I ran into a situation where I had to ask someone a question, (laughs) a serious question, and I couldn't, I I was running up and down the concourse just trying to find any employee that I could ask a question of, and I couldn't find anybody. And the people I did find were like, I don't know. And that seems like a problem. It seems like you should have like, or maybe even just like a telephone you can grab or there should be someone yeah. of all the money that's going in. There should just be some, you could even like get an old person volunteer just to stand there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just some, someone to ask. Yeah. Well, I ran into that in Houston where I was trying to, I had a reservation in the hotel that was right attached to the airport. And I was just trying to find out how to get to that hotel. Yeah. It's not a hard question. Right. And same thing, dude. So many people that worked there, like, had no clue. It was almost like I was on drugs or something. I was like, and then I finally mean, they, they didn't know how to where to go for a taxi or something. No, I didn't need a taxi. I just needed to go downstairs and take a little tram for ten, like five minutes over to the hotel that's attached to the airport. Oh. But they didn't know how to tell me where to. Like some of them were like, "Oh, I don't know what hotel that." Is. Like. A, it was unbelievable. Right. And they didn't know who to talk to. Who to talk to. Yeah. Right. So that's a problem to me. It's like you can't expect a random TWA agent. Sure. If that still exists. But there's no one to ask. <laughs> but they don't even know like, oh, go to the information desk. Yeah. Now, some airports will have this. Actually, you'll see there'll be like a person walking around with a big information flag saying mm-hmm. like, ask me questions. You know, so I feel like there should be more people like that. Um. The other pet peeve I have, and this is very unpopular, I think, is I hate the fact that... So when we first started flying planes, when I first started flying planes as a younger person in the 80s and 90s, what would happen was you would take off, you'd reach cruising altitude, and then you could recline your seat. Right. And everyone would recline their seat. And the seat could actually recline pretty far. Yeah. And you could actually kind of halfway lay down and fall asleep. Yeah. Everyone could do this. It was way more relaxing. Like, think about when you're trying to relax. What do you want to do? You want to lay down, kind yep. of. You don't want to sit straight, straight, straight fucking up and down, <laughs> like at a 90-degree angle. So I, all of everyone who do that, 
Yep. And and if you didn't recline your seat, you were kind of screwed because yeah. the person in front of you. But if everyone did it, everyone wins. Yeah. So uh, I loved that. Right. And at some point between then and now, everyone decided that that's like uncouth. And then they actually started to change the seat. So you the 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 recline actually doesn't even go back that far. It's like far. five degrees, dude. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's like. It's inconsequ- inconsequential. Yeah. <laughs> and so much so that I often feel like it's broken. Yeah. I'm like, wait, maybe it's not. Oh, I guess it did go back, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why even have it? And so, and even if you do that five degree, re- de- re- you know, de- the decline, <laughs> recline, decline, um, people behind you will get upset. And, and this is actually a known uh manner, you know, like follow really? your manners on airplanes is you never recline your seat. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm always breaking that rule then. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, people people will even get devices to that will jam up against your seat so that you <laughs> you can't recline. Oh my god. But think about it, if everyone reclined, wouldn't that be better off? Yeah. But anyway, so that's that annoying. that's a major problem cuz I can't fall asleep on a plane. Not I am a notorious napper like if if i'm at a passenger seat of a car you're gonna fall asleep and and we're gonna and we're driving seven minutes i'll sleep for six of those minutes (laughs) i can fall asleep on a dime but i can't fall asleep or i can fall asleep on a plane but i i soon wake up when my head goes lurching forward (laughs) into the tv screen in front of me uh um and so what i wish actually and, and i actually tried to devise this one time is and I need something to strap my head to, <laughs> to, the seat. to the seat. But you would need to have it go around the back of the seat, you know? Yeah. Which might cover their screen or something. Because those those neck pillow things, they don't work. You know, they're, they're no, not... No, no, no. They're, they're neat. It, it, that's not rigid enough. You no. know what I mean? No, because it's like... It's too uh, soft and comfy, but it's too far down. So, right. like, your head still has to tilt pretty far. Right, yeah. So, I mean, can you fall asleep at a 90 degree angle on an airplane? So I do, but I end up I end up like hunching over. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. I end up being like this hunchback of Norderberto. Imagine if we all reclined our fucking seats. Yeah. If they actually reclined and we all did it. Like it like they did <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago. Right. Anyway, another problem I have on airplanes is loud talkers. Do you ever have that? Oh, but I'm probably one of the loud talkers. <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> like I, on a flight that I went on not too long ago, the two women next to me, two small, younger women, well, one of the women, one of the women was a, was a normal talker. Uh-huh. They're sitting right next to each other. Yeah. You know, they're, they're right next to me. And the other woman sitting furthest away from me, but facing me is screaming the, her, oh, no. her, her part of the conversation. Oh, no. And the other woman sitting next to me was an Asian woman, Asian-American woman, and she was she was very quiet. I think she was, like, trying to... Quiet her down. Like, and they had, a, they had a conversation for, like, two and a half hours. Oh, my God. Anyway. Well, actually, this is, I don't know if you have this one on your list, because this one can go either way. You sit down, and you have a plan. You have a couple magazines... You might have brought, you know, your your phone, so you're going to play a game, or you're going to listen to some music or something, watch a movie, and the person next to you start chats up, starts a conversation. Oh yeah, and that can go either way because maybe it's, maybe it's going to be really interesting, 
but it's also ruining your plans, right? And it's kind of like that moment where you're like, I don't want to be rude. Sure, I'll talk a little bit, but then... So that, <laughs> that's not a pet peeve of mine because I am a master at getting out of those conversations. Really? Yeah. I have... A long ago, I said, okay, so I can waste, you know, arguably like a month of the rest of my life listening to these and, you know, and what I'm talking about are people who don't like realize I'm not interested. You know, right. they're, they're just narcissistically vomiting stuff at you on an airplane. They're not, they're not going back and forth. Right. Like most people on an airplane, when they talk to you. It's just a little banter back and forth. And then, you know, it trickles out and you go back to your phone yeah. or whatever. But there are some people on airplanes, because you're sitting next to them, they're like, yay. Someone is stuck listening to me. And they will just yammer at you, you know, forever. Right. Like there's there's no end. of, And I've seen people actually when my wife and I were on a flight to Europe, she was sitting next to this guy who was like that. And my wife, she, God bless her, she's real tolerant of that. And afterwards, I was like, man, that guy was a piece of work. And she's like, what? He, he was fine. And I'm like, wow. and I'm like, I'm like, because he didn't ask her any questions. She, she never said anything. So you he know? was just talking. He was just blah, 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 you know, me, 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 you know. Wow. And so for me, a long time ago, because I had, I had a coworker like this or something, where if if you went into their office and just asked them a question, oh yeah, they would just start. They they, they they're masters. Uh -huh. they, they'll figure some transition <laughs> to some story, and then it's just like it just keeps going, and it's like they don't even take a breath. I know the type, <laughs> and it you know it's like the copy center guy. You know, it yeah. just it just goes on and on, and you're like you're trying to work your way, you're trying to back your way out. <laughs> And then you're like, this isn't, there's no natural. And so you just sort of lean up against the door jam and, and you're thinking, what, how did I get, how did I let this happen? You know? And so a long time ago I said, um, I'm not going to put up with that shit anymore. Just because they are doing that doesn't mean I have to go along with it. Sure. And what I did was I started to just like go in the middle of their sentence. Ah, I got to go. Sorry. I'll talk to you later. And I, and I was like, to me, that was so rude. Sure. It, it felt so rude to do that. Mm -hmm. But I was so fed up with it. Yeah. But what I learned was these people, they don't care. They don't care. If they cared, they wouldn't do it <laughs> to begin with. I see. So when that's you just hilarious. suddenly like walk out of the room or say, hey, peace. Oh, that's cool. Peace out. And you leave. The awareness to be there to be hurt by that doesn't exist. Okay. Because <laughs> they they're not really interested in your state of mind. If they were, then they, so, they wouldn't do this to begin with. It's, um, it's the land, landlord in Ghostbusters, Rick Moranis. Yeah, exactly. And where she, where, when she shuts the door, he's fine. He just, he'll pick it back up the next time. Right. He's yeah. not like devastated because yeah. it's like, well, I mean. Okay, I'll see you next time. Okay. <laughs> well, so, so I totally relate to this. There was a, a coworker, actually someone you know, um, but he used to be a coworker. And I totally remember planning out in my head, okay, I have a question I have to ask, but I just know that if I don't ask it the right way, this could go long. And what would inevitably happen is I'd say something like, you know, where do you, you know, where do we keep the strainers or something? And it the next words out of his mouth would be, well, 
actually. And then you're like, oh, shit. This is going to be a long-ass story. Wait, after it's the like, podcast, you have to tell me I'll who this is. I'll tell you who it is. Because like, I actually can't. I'm, I'm running through the Rolodex of people who qualify for that, and I actually can't figure out who it is. Because you may not have spent enough time around them, but I think you know of them and have met them. But oh, we'll they're see. not like a... They're not a regular, but but uh, anyways, uh, so it was kind of like that where you would be in for a long, drawn-out story. And there are very many variants. There's someone else you do know who, once you get going about anything, it is that. Like, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. You got to stop it. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> Another thing is people who can't... So because we've... Uh, shrunk the seats down to their minimal size. Um, now I'm I'm not a gigantic human being, right? But I'm a, I'm above average, right? You know I'm taller than average. I yeah. my shoulders are broader apparently than average. I don't, but I don't think of myself as a giant human being. No. I consider myself like in the in the realm of average. Yeah, yeah. When I get on an airplane, I realize you feel huge. <laughs> I am not average because. <laughs> I always hope that there's a small woman sitting next to me because if it's if it's another guy like oh, you, man, it's so uncomfortable. Like we will be very intimate by the end of yep. it because, and there's there's no way to avoid it. Nothing. Like I can't shrink my body to the point like like I like aisle seats a lot. I can't get into the aisle because then people are going to hit me. Yeah, first of all, the aisle. I don't know if this happens to you, but I frequently get slammed by the carts. Right. And the, certainly if there's someone in the middle seat and they happen to be a dude or especially a, 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 a size like me or bigger, oh my gosh, forget about it. Right. Terrible. So that, I don't like the fact that the seats are so small. I, I'd pay, like whenever they have like upgrade for 50 bucks and get yeah. that, get the bulkhead or whatever, yeah. I'm always like, sign me up for that because of these reasons. Um, the other thing is, is that some passengers don't, do their part for that issue. Right. Like the last flight I was on from Orlando, the person next to me, I would go to the bathroom. And so I, w- I always put down the armrest, you know? Okay. Because yeah, me too. it's a way, one, I like to rest my arm on it. And two, it's a way for me to say, this is your side and this is my side. Right. And without this, I'm worried I'm worried you're not going to follow this very simple rule, you know? And so I'd go to the bathroom and when I would get out of the bathroom and sit down, the person next to me would flip, they would have flipped up like it halfway uh-huh. and they would have they scooted their oh, no. their butt and their their whole body sort of under the armrest. Oh. So I sit down. They're like kind of in my seat. I don't fit in my seat. So slippery. And I'm like, what are you doing? That sucks. Like, how <laughs> does that make any sense? And, and it, they're not sitting straight up and down. They're sort of like lounging in a mm-hmm. way that sort of propels them their butt into my seat. Right. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Jeez. Like, how, how do you live with yourself? Yeah. Like, how do you honestly, like... How do you live with yourself knowing like your purpose, like if I was even coming close to encroaching in a situation, <laughs> like I've ridden, I've ridden on planes where I have spent the entire flight scrunching my shoulders together, like I'm trying to show off yep, my, yep. my cleavage or something. <laughs> and the whole flight, I'm just like, 
I'm trying not to bother the people next to me. Right. So I just can't imagine like flipping up the armrest. And then I sit down and I'm like, well, if I rest my arm on the armrest as it's supposed to be given its name, the person will feel the armrest like digging into their thigh (laughs) and they'll be like, oh, I've gone too far. That's the signal. (laughs) But they didn't. What? Like hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't get that. <laughs> now, wow. on, now here's the thing. For some people who are larger than others, they will really struggle with trying to fit. I mean, yeah. imagine if you're right. really big. Well, some people have to buy two seats. Right. Now, if as a passenger, he had turned to me and said, dude, I'm sorry, but I I am so uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Like, is it okay if I, I know you're a, a big guy too, but you're obviously not as big as me. Is it okay if I kind of bleed over Can here? we spoon? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, is it okay because I, yeah. like I'm dying over here? Yeah. Um, I, I would have been like totally fine. I would have been like. Right, because it's considerate. You're asking. 100%. Right? I'd be, dude, let's do it. Let's cuddle. <laughs> let's like, do it. You know. Let's but go like, all the way. <laughs> but they don't. They don't do that. And that, that bothers me. Um, another thing that bothers me, and this is, this is kind of a dumb thing to be bothered by, but you know, you land and you're, you're taxiing, you, you finally get to the, the gate and then they, you know, they let you stand up and, um, you know, you sort of, you slowly start seeing people file out of the airplane. Right. And you're like, Oh, I'm, we're, I'm, I'm soon. I'm all, it's almost my turn. <laughs> you know, you can feel it coming. Yep. And then the person in front of you, uh, at the point where they can actually go, at that point, they decide, oh, where's my bag? Oh. <laughs> you know, and they're like, they like, oh, they open oh, the thing right. and they start, you know. Now, it'd be one thing if they, you know, step into the seat, seat section, let other people buy. Right. But they just stand in the middle of the, of the aisle. <laughs> oh, let me get my bag. You know, and, and some, or even if that's not the case, people will be like, oh, now's the time I'm going to put on my coat. Right. And now's the time I'm going to like tell my kids it's time to go. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, I can totally not relate to this because I'm so the opposite. I, not only do I not want to inconvenience anyone, I hate that feeling of pressure of people behind me waiting for me. Right. I hate that. So I, first of all, certainly I'm always like ready, but if I want to take my time, I will always go into the front, in the seat right in front that's already been vacated. Right. And just wait. Yeah. Gather my stuff, do all that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, I actually always check my bags. So I'm, I'm lightweight, man. Right. So like for me, I just basically stand up and walk out. Like I, I rarely even have anything, have anything in the overhead yeah. anyway, because of partly this reason, but also just because I hate wheeling my and I and I also hate the anxiety of I hope I get in the right you know like uh, wave of passengers. Oh, so I can have a spot. Well, yeah. What if I don't? What if I? You know, I hate that feeling. <laughs> so I'm just like I'll just pay twenty five bucks, check the bag, for, you know, forget about it. The other thing is is that when you check a bag, you can bring like other kinds of liquids and stuff, you know, like you don't, yeah. you don't have to anyway. Uh, another uh, thing that drives me crazy. This is rare, but it happens occasionally are drunk douchebags on the airplane. Have you mm. ever, have you ever seen this before? Well, um, drunk. Yes, but not to the point where it became a problem, 
But I did tell you about that time with that guy that must have been having a really terrible day and seemed like an asshole to begin with and was trying, was basically yelling at this lady because she wasn't oh, yeah. putting the bag away. But I don't know about, like, and I've seen drunk people, but I haven't seen drunk people that were causing problems. Yeah. Uh, I, so I know this won't be the case in the future, but I find that, I find it surprising, and maybe there's some sort of technological barrier that, Wi-Fi isn't just like ubiquitous on airplanes. Mm-hmm. Like, is it that hard to provide Wi-Fi for you know at least you know semi-fast Wi-Fi? In general, no, but they can make money out of it, so they do. But even when you do do the money option, it's still slow. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not that great. That's right. I I, I just figure eventually they're gonna figure that out. Yeah. But to me, it's like in 2019, you'd think. It would just be ubiqu- it would just be ubiquitous. <laughs> right. Twenty nineteen is like this mix of dystopian future with still a lot of advancements that we couldn't have imagined, right? But if you all the things we've been complaining about right now, if you rewound the clock thirty years and and we were saying, Hey, just so you know, air travel will have all these problems. we'd be like, Come on. Well, that's why I started with the good things. Right, right. You know? right. Um the other good thing that I'll say is that flights are fairly cheap. Like Yeah. I re- again, when I was a kid, I remember flying was a bit of a stretch financially. Yep. Uh, and today, like you can get uh, flights for very cheap. Yeah. You know, especially domestic flights. Um. Also, so tell me what you think about this, Berto, because I actually wonder if you actually even notice this. You're sitting in your chair, and the the person behind you, sitting behind you. They're getting up and they grab your chair. Oh yeah, and they, you know, they use it as a lever to stand up. Yeah, that's frustrating. Does it bother you as much as it bothers me? So it doesn't. I, I'm not going to say this happens to me all the time. When it happens, it's kind of really egregious. Like you could be in the middle of eating something. You could be, you know, and it's just like you get jostled back. Right. It's it to me. It's one thing where it's like you can't avoid grabbing something, and you're just yeah. like, I, but. There's a way to grab it where you don't like just throttle yeah. the person in the seat. I mean, right. there, there are times when there are large guys and they will just, I'll just feel like it's an earthquake. <laughs> you know, I'll just feel like they're, they're trying to yeah. shake my world. You right. know, there's like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, how do you not know that I'm connected to this equation? Yeah. You know, like this seat isn't your personal handrail. Yeah. Like my head is connected very cl- You can see me. I'm right there, you right. know? And I find that, so whenever I get up out of a seat, I, I really try hard not to touch the seat in front of me. Right. And if I do, I do it very lightly. You know what I mean? Uh, but, no, I, I hear you. I, like I said, it doesn't happen enough, but when it does, it's really frustrating. Yeah. So those are all my pet peeves. Man, I mean, it's it's, I guess... What I will say is a lot of yours have a lot more to do with, like you said, with people dynamics. But some of it is triggered by the lack of space and the less... Which I blame on us. Sure, yes. Like, to me, what I would love... This is my, this is my perfect scenario. You have the regular coach. Yeah. And then you have business class. But then there's this in-between that's maybe 100 bucks more than the cheapest price and you can fully recline your seat. Like you don't change, everything's crammed. The only difference is 
You can recline. Not fully recline, but like, you know, 45 degree angle or something. And it's sort of like the recliner section. Like you sign up, everyone's going to recline. It's like the Japanese, uh, those little tiny sleeping uh, boxes. Yeah. The, uh, (laughs) what do they call it? The, uh, oh, something hotel. A friend of mine just. I stayed in one in Japan. Oh, did you? A friend of mine just posted Facebook pictures of that. I, I don't know why I could do it. They it are, feels claustrophobic just looking at it. They're much bigger than they look. Okay. So when you get in, you can sit up. Okay. Uh, you could probably fit comfortably two people in there. It, it, it's much bigger than it seems. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, the, so, but my perfect scenario wouldn't even be seats at all. It'd just be bunk beds. Mm-hmm. So you could put, I imagine in my head, you could put at least three bunks. You know what I mean? Sure. And and three deep. So you put three bunks, three deep. Now that would be very inconvenient to you know, but maybe you put like a little aisle there so you yeah. can kind of like 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 the what do they call it? The hotel. It's a anyway. Because if I could lay down on a flight, right. forget about it. I'd sleep the whole way. Right. You know. Anyway, I just thought that'd be kind of nice. Um, okay, we got a lot of questions from famous patient Linden. Wow. <laughs> Number three, annoying things about cell phones or cell phone communication. Yeah, annoying things. Well, actually, I'm going to go on the defensive this time to start with. I'm going to say on the whole, cell phones for me are amazing, amazing technology. They enable so many things. Uh, they've changed fundamentally the way I interact with the world and those around me and my relatives and my, my family and friends. Uh, however, there are some, there are some annoying things for sure. Uh, there, you know, one of the ones that I started getting really annoyed about was the size of phones. Yeah. I don't like large phones. Well, why do you keep buying them? This is actually the smallest of the iPhones of the new generation. Cause, cause the, uh, iPhone eight had both the huge and the, the smaller one. Uh, but the 10 was actually kind of the the good mix because it is taller, but it's not as wide. Couldn't So I was at Comic-Con in Seattle yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and I saw a young fellow. He looked like he was about 20 years old. He had what looked to be an iPhone 4, mm. and it was totally working. Yeah, totally. Couldn't you just get an iPhone 4? Well, that's where I want all the features, the nice new modern ah. features. Well, I do, but I'm saying... Well, no, you so you can get an iPhone 4 and use an updated iOS, can't you? Yeah, but the processor is nowhere near as powerful. The screen is nowhere near as nice. There's so many things it doesn't have. It doesn't have unlock via... iPhone 4s don't even have touch unlock. No. Let alone... So I'm saying, look, I want the new tech. I just don't understand why all of a sudden people wanted tablets instead of phones. Yeah. And, and I'm saying the size I have right now is still too big, but I'm okay with it. But if they go any bigger than this, I'm done. Yeah, I remember the, <laughs> the first iPhone. And when you look at it, it's comically small. It is comically small. small. <laughs> but I remember thinking it was gigantic. Right. The first, the first iPhone that I saw, I was like, oh, Apple, you really fucked this one up. Right. No one is going to want that humongous thing in their pocket, <laughs> number one. Two, it's way too expensive. It's like three hundred dollars. Right. And I remember also thinking, three, how do you a touch screen? Like yeah. those are not convenient. Right. I just remember thinking, like, this is a this right. is a disaster for Steve Jobs. 
<laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Did you sell all your all your stock? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. I'm done. I'm selling all the million shares I own. <laughs> so when I thought about this question, I was like, oh boy, I'm going to have a bunch of things. But actually, when I think about it, in a very quiet progression, the you know I have an I have a Google Pixel phone, Android phone. Google and and Android and all those people, they have figured out how to actually eliminate the problems. Like mm-hmm. every other phone before this, there was some problem where, you know, overall I would say, yeah, it's fine. But, you know, there's this one thing that keeps, keeps, bothering, it keeps bothering me. I can't think of a single thing right now that's really bothering me about my phone. And right. that, that's amazing. That is amazing. Like no software glitches. Right. No annoying bluetooth like the bluetooth seems to be pretty consistent now uh-huh. like i don't have to futz with it a billion times to make the bluetooth work because i'm i'm using bluetooth a lot you know uh-huh. i listen to you know three or four hours of podcasts a day on my headphones on my speaker in the car right i need the bluetooth to like transfer pretty seamlessly and it does it, does, it does so pretty well yeah so I just have to commend Google, people at Google. and I mean, I, I and, will say, so there are two other things that bug me. One of them bugged me epically so, but it's gotten tolerable due to some minor, minor improvements. Uh, it's the one where I would plug my phone into my Honda and it would always start auto-playing the first song on my playlist. Yeah. And here was the thing that dro- drove me nuts. First of all, the song I used to have was a song by Ed Sheehan. And it's Sheeran. Sheeran, sorry. It's a very nice song. Unless there's another guy called Ed Sheehan. Oh, it's a different artist from Columbia that I love. Anyways, it was a very nice song, but you can only hear the same song so many times every time you plug your fucking phone in. Yeah. It just started driving me nuts. And I started like, I don't want to dislike Ed Sheeran. I want to like this guy. So I first of all, I deleted that song from my playlist. But really then it's sad. just the next one. And guess what the next one is? I don't know. It's the beginning of the Abbey Road documentary on iTunes. Oh. So it always starts with... Well, that's better because it's not like a song. It's just like an interview, right? Yeah. Well, it starts with a little bit of because and then George Martin going like, well, Paul approached me saying they wanted to record another but album. But some, for some, for some <laughs> reason for me, if I hear that a thousand times, it's less bothersome it, than, totally. than it's, the exactly. same song. Well, it's also... I, I could actually hear because a billion times. Right. Now, here's the problem. Even even though that was a little less bad back because then, because the yeah, but even though that was a little less bad, the problem is it would interrupt anything. So like I would set it a lot of times. I would set it to listen to a YouTube thing or whatever. Oh, and it would interrupt it. Oh, and it would restart and start playing that thing. Why? <laughs> would the software be set up to do that? It was such a bug. You're already listening to yes. something. Yes. Yeah. So eventually that got fixed. Oh. But while that was not fixed, it was the worst pet peeve. Like, I was horrible. Yeah. Now, it still does the thing where every time I plug it into my Honda, it starts playing that. But when I set it to something else, it doesn't te- get taken over by that mm. same song. I will say if I had an iPhone, I'd be driven nuts by iTunes and how all the pictures are synced automatically and stuff like that. Actually, that's why I don't use Apple Mm. phones anymore is because it was, there was, I had to use this really elaborate process to like, because I don't want to keep my phone, 
pictures and video on my phone. Yeah. I want to put them on my desktop. I want to edit it. I want to, yeah. you know, I want to catalog it. I want to back it up on my own system, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I, you know, for many years I had iPhones. I had a three, a four, a five. I don't think I had a six. But I wanted to do that. And so I had this really elaborate system. And then they changed some function and they made it so that you, I couldn't even do a workaround. Yeah, yeah. Like there was no way I could extract even from like the website like there was you oh that was the thing i had to do i had to like sync it to like my itunes account i did then open up itunes or something nope and then i had to like transfer from my computer it was this really long no why did they need this right i know it well it's apple trying to my well here's my guess as to why they do it they're trying to make it quote-unquote idiot proof they're trying to make it so that the user can't screw it up. They're sort of forcing everyone into this one way to do things because they're like, look, look, customer, you don't need to get into your phone. We'll take care of it for you. We'll, we'll tell you how to back up. We'll tell you where you can access. You, you can't – I know you want to do it this way, but we're going we're gonna to put an end to that because <laughs> we know best. I we, think you're we, almost being too generous to them because – I actually think they wanted to make it hard to not fill up your phone because they every generation they were trying to upsell you on the larger storage. Uh, I can see that too. What they've done in the more recent... Right, because plenty of soccer moms are walking walking around with like 100 gigs of videos and pictures. <laughs> and videos is really a lot of it because the videos are way... I mean, you think about right. a video, that's like 30 pictures a right. second. right. And if you take like, you know, a five minute video, that's like what? like And and every new phone defaults to the higher end of the quality. So like it'll be like 60 frames per second at at 4K or whatever. And so (laughs) you have to – so yeah, it forces you to be like, oh, I'm running out of space. Right. Uh, And iPhone, you can't get extra – um, memory. You right. have to. You just have to buy a, buy the new one. <laughs> a brand new phone. They can't insert right. other other memory. They finally started realizing that they couldn't quite keep this up just by itself. So iCloud works way better now, such that like I have uh, photos is no longer the main offender of my space on my phone. Uh, and even though I have like gigs and gigs and gigs and gigs, and the other thing I did is I installed Google Photos on the phone. And that one also archives my photos. So worst case scenario, I have it archived in two places. But it's not flawless. There are photos that never make their way for some reason. And there, you know, there's gaps and stuff like that. And it's still not easy to just get the photos and the yeah. videos. For example, when I make my YouTube videos, I take it on the phone. And then you would think I could just plug it in. Via- oh, you take it on your phone. Yeah, I just use the phone. Yeah. Oh. So you think I could just plug in the thing to my PC and right. copy the video over. Right. No. Why did, Why could you not do that? Because I have to save it as an iMovie first, and then I can copy that file over. Well, I'm surprised you can even do that because yeah. back in the day. With my phone, with you know Google Pixel, Android, you I plug it in. And it just asked me, "What are you trying to do?" You just plugged in a thing into right. to a USB, and I just I just click file transfer, and boom, on my desktop it shows up. File as, Explorer shows up. Yeah, it just shows up yeah. as a as a folder. Yeah, and I browse and I extract, <sighs> copy and paste, or cut and paste actually. Yeah. So at this, not only am I archiving, but I'm also freeing up space on my 
right. on my phone. I can also delete like random files that I know aren't supposed to be there. Right. Whereas when I plug in my iPhone, first of all, it's you know you can see the iPhone. You can open it up. It says DCIM. And you're like, I think that's it. You open that. Then it's got all these subfolders, all nondescript, right? Like Apple 105, Apple 104. And you're like, okay, maybe the latest one. So you open that. Then it's got all these files, right? And of course, there's your photos, there's your videos. So you're like, great. Okay, now I can just copy them over. It seems like I can copy photos over, but I can't copy videos over because it says uh, error reading media. Ugh. Like, one, why do you need to read it? Just transfer yes. the ones and zeros. Yes. But it's not an error in reading the media. No, it's a, it, they lock it on purpose. Yeah. But why? It's your own video. Yeah. Why would you lock it? It's ah. not proprietary. Ah. Apple doesn't own that. Yeah. Why would they want to? Why would you make that function not available? No. It's bizarre. Yeah. So yeah, Apple boof. I, I I that's why I'm cynically still like I think they just want you stuck in their ecosystem. Well, you know? yeah, which okay, you know. And there's a way out. And I'm here to tell you the Pixel is a good option. I hear you. It's a strong. <laughs> it's a strong phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, again, like I said, when I first got it a couple years ago, it was like uh, I was sort of like, well, you take the good with the bad, like right. the um, the facts of life. <laughs> uh, the uh, the you know the iPhone had some problems and there were pros and cons, and I was like, oh, the Pixel, you know, it also it it sort of I sort of fixed that problem, but it has a whole new host of problems. But I feel like they've ironed out all those issues. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, I find I find it very strange that we've reached a point where because I always say that I would be right. like, "It's 2018. We haven't figured out." A, you know, <laughs> um, and same with my desktop. Actually, Windows is working real well, and uh, Word and Excel and my my, got, Fire, yeah. my Firefox is like I. I remember there was always like something going wrong. You right. know, where he was like, "Uh, we've gotten to the point where with normal stuff, things are now working." But I even think- like. Somewhat exotic, like the thing we're recording on right now is a Sony software. Yeah. And it works pretty, you know, it very rarely has a problem. I did have some issues recently with the Cubase uh, 9 point something. Is that a recent addition? Well, the latest is 10, but I had some problems related more to the combination between my hardware and the software on, on my computer. But admittedly... Like you're saying, it, it's it's way rarer now. I mean, I look back to the old days when when you would buy a new game for your PC. The first hour, at least, was spent configuring the thing to just be able to run it. Yeah, I would say before. So at a certain point, you had the internet to do updates or even look up for patches or something. Right. But back in the day, they, they didn't even have the internet, so. I would actually physically drive to the software <laughs> store right. and actually tell them what happened. Remember Egghead? Oh, yeah. And just be like, so I installed it. And they're like, oh, well, you you know, you might have to buy a whole other kind mm-hmm. of component or something. Like there was this, and sometimes I'd just be like, well, I guess I don't play that game that I just That's bought right. for 50 bucks. Like I don't even remember how I used to figure out the autoexec.bat and config.sys settings. For because you would buy a game and you'd run it and the sound wouldn't work and it was inevitably some sound blaster co- configuration problem yeah, and you'd have to do I don't even know how I figured it out because I couldn't look it up I so think, it was like trial and error well I think that the manual you know 
that there would be a thick troubleshooting yeah. manual. And I think sometimes that sometimes had- they did tell you st- tell you stuff there. And maybe what it was is. Because it's been so long that maybe what it was is you would learn tricks from one game. Oh, right. this is how I fixed that one. And then you try to like, oh, that's what it worked. Right. IRQ7. And, and there were some games where you would have to l- load a new driver right. every time you just wanted to play that one game. And then right. when you didn't want to play the game, you had to uninstall that driver. Right. So that your browser would work or something. Like kids these days. So people don't realize that, you know, back in those days, um, there were very limited let's call them ports for uh, the parts of the game that or the application that needed to work to communicate with the hardware. Yeah. And so a lot of times there would Especially be Especially since 99% of the desktop computers were PCs, were yes. IBMs. Yes. And had, uh, you know, various different uh, Frankenstein parts together. Yes. You know, this is before Dell and Compaq and all those other places. Yes. Gateway. And so you had to configure all these things by hand in little text files, and it was a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah. All right, number four. Who is a character on TV uh, or in movies that is widely loved or popular that you just don't get or actually, or you actually dislike or revile? On movies or TV? I guess anywhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. First of all, uh, man, personality, probably, so it could be actually a celebrity. I sure, guess. this is gonna not win me any friends, but uh, I never got the appeal or the humor in uh, the Big Bang Theory. Okay, uh, and so by extension, the main character bugs me. So I get that. I've watched. I, I never watched it for the first what eight years it was. On. I don't know how many seasons it's been. Yeah. On. But I never watched it. But recently, my wife has been occasionally like watching it, and so yeah. I'll, I'll watch it with her. And it's actually a delightful show. Like it, it, it moves pretty quick. It's it's got I think some good humor. The characters are kind of interesting. But yeah, the laugh track is atrocious. Yeah, like you'll see those those YouTube videos where mm-hmm. they'll take out the laugh, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god! When you take out the laugh, you're like. This show is not funny. There's nothing in it. Yeah. And they put the laugh track in almost after every line. Right. Like someone will walk in and go like, you know, um, hey, what are you having for dinner? Ha, 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 ha. Oh, I'm having a, a oatmeal. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Well, that's a weird dinner. Ha, ha, ha. Like it's after every line. Yes, yes, and it, yes. And it, it doesn't seem natural. Right. that, pe- And you know it's not real. <laughs> right. Well, and then what happened was... It was recommended to me by by several friends. We're like, oh, we love, and I tried watching it. It always breaks my heart to go and report back when someone's like, oh, you're gonna love it. Oh, that recently happened <laughs> with John Mulaney and you, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, because that's my other one. So my brother. Oh, that was one that you. Yeah. So what happened was uh, years. I thought it ago, was Omid that recommended. Oh, him too. Yeah. So that. So, but no, no, no. I had already dealt with this, and and him and I had a debate of words uh, over it. So. Years ago, uh, maybe five years ago, th- do you remember his TV show came out? No. He had a sitcom I didn't for like know half a season. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was essentially trying to be his Seinfeld show. They literally, I mean, almost cynically were like, well, he's like this Seinfeld kind of character. Why don't we put him in a show very much like Seinfeld and see if it works? And so I, I, I didn't know about it. And I heard, oh, Mulaney, this new show. So I tried watching it. And it was so terrible. 
the the first episode is like this about Halloween and stuff. There was nothing funny about it. Nothing at all like Seinfeld. No no none of that darkness and like interesting like hateable character. It was just dumb. So I'm saying oh and it had uh Martin Short who I can only stand him in certain things. And oh, briefly, really? Yeah. I love Martin Short. I mean, when he's been in funny movies, especially when he's like with Steve Martin stuff, I really do like it. But yeah. I think he can be he can be grating too. If so, the writing was bad, I could see and it. That, and that's the thing. Yeah. So I was like, this is terrible. And the show got canceled almost immediately. It was not good. So I was already like not a fan. But then I tried watching a stand-up uh, and it was like one of those like kid – marvelous or kid beautiful or something like this and i was sitting there not laughing at all i'm like yeah. this is not funny so then i i'm down in san francisco and my brother goes oh my god dude if you haven't already you have got to check out this comedian we were in stitches rolling around it was so funny and i'm like oh what what is it it's john mulaney and i'm like oh I'll check it out because I, I just like didn't want to tell him the truth. And so I did it. You know, obviously I had already checked it out and didn't like it. But I gave it one more shot. I, I watched one more of his specials or at least half of it. And I still it still didn't do it for me. And I think what it is is that his whole thing is this very forced shtick that he puts on. It's like, you, you know, when, when you're watching Seinfeld, sure, he's exaggerating the voice a little bit or whatever. That doesn't even sound like Seinfeld. But he's... He is putting on a bit of a character, but but you can still feel like the honest, honesty in his stories and his jokes. With Mulaney, the whole thing is a is a character like uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and that always turned me off. Yeah, humor is weird and it's very personal. I yeah. think, and it's hard. It just doesn't click with you. It doesn't, and he doesn't really click with me either. And but I will say that there are some bits in his stand up that are. I would say I, w- I would say are funny, but yeah, overall I-, I would say now he also does some funny things uh, like um, voice acting. I don't know about that, oh, but the okay. cartoon, yeah, uh, the the Big Mouth, Big Mouth, yeah. So I actually love him as a voice actor. Oh yeah, oh voice acting. I didn't I didn't hear what you said. You're right, right in Big Mouth, uh, he's great. And he, I, I, he actually helps to write that show, I believe. But he's not the main. I think I really think it comes down to the writing. Yeah. So what I'll say is, I think his voice is funny. I think he can be funny. I guess what I don't like is his jokes, yeah. told through that sort of like act of his. His. Yeah. I just don't. He, ta- he talks like sort of an old school comic. Yeah. And the other, I think the other problem is, is that. He's so big now, yeah. But I don't think he actually has the chops, you know. Right. Like he's not like a Louis C.K. or or a yeah, Richard yeah. Pryor or something. But and he's you know it'd be fine if he was just like another stand-up that yeah. that was occasionally funny. But he's being treated, I think, because he's so white, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he so and, clean cut and clean cut, and he seems so non-threatening. You know what I mean? That, but you know, we can't say I, I, he must be legitimately funny to people. I, I've and, never know, had to be told, explained why I should like a comic. Yeah, the comics that have been super funny that I've laughed my ass off, they just are. Yeah, 
So if I have to like research his life story and get all the context and all these things, it's like yeah. I watched the new um, Amy Schumer special. Uh, it has it has some pretty good parts in it. So I I in general liked Amy Schumer until I started finding out more and more about she all the jokes she cops. Yeah, and and fine. But I still, you know, she is me, funny though. To me, as I'm watching it, I'm like, even I'm like, uh, I wonder how many of these jokes she stole. I don't really care. It's it's fine. I care vicarious or vicariously for the comics that I care about it because I guess I never knew that I should care. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess maybe as a musician, if I saw a band and they're like playing songs from other bands and not claiming that they, I'd be like a little weirded out by that. But in music, so often people cop ideas right right in comedy I, I guess it's a much bigger deal when someone tells the joke which i get and and i fully support that yeah. criticism but as a as a consumer of, yeah. of i'm not going to sit there and go like i boycott amy <laughs> schumer you know what i mean because right because right. i'm just like i i don't know i just don't care yeah. um Amy Wong but there are a, other comics that are so much funnier in my opinion like Tom Segura for example I this guy is so funny to me and he's nowhere near as famous <laughs> the, uh, the have you watched the uh, and Adam Sandberg the Sandler Sandler Adam Sandler um, no you told me about it I, I want to watch it because pretty good because I, I I heard it was his best work it starts sort of slow yeah. but it 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 has a very consistent thing I I really liked it so for me, the people that bother me, you know, I'm not typically bothered by people like in the way that what I see, like the general populace yeah. is, is like people hate Tom Cruise, for example. Right. Or at least they used to really hate Tom Cruise. And I just remember being like, I don't know. I mean, I like him as an actor. Uh, yeah, he's a bit of a character off screen. And yeah, I guess he's into Scientology, but, you know, whatever. I, Whatevs. <laughs> I, I, I like him as an actor. Sure. I, I like the movie season. It's great, you know. Um, or you know, PewDiePie. Everyone hates PewDiePie. Right, or right. or Jake Ryan. Or what? What are those? Yeah, the the, Ryan, the, the ones we talked about. Is that their name, Ryan? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, or even Jordan Peterson, for that matter. Like right. in my circle, you're supposed to absolutely hate him. And I'm just like, okay, you know, if you don't like what he's saying, or you don't like. Yeah. Or you think he is a bad influence on people? Okay, you know, there's a lot of people like that in the world. Right. right. And but I'm not going to get all up in arms and be like, everything they do is shit. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's like whatever. But so of the people that I could think of that sort of fit this question for yeah. famous patron Lyndon, the first person that came to mind was, and I hate to say this, is Bill Murray. So, oh, interesting. So I love Bill Murray. Sure. In a normal way. Right. But not, there is a cult. There's a cult, yeah. especially like five years ago on the internet. Yeah. So I grew up with Bill Murray. I watched him on Saturday Night Live in the 70s. Yeah. I watched Stripes. I saw, you know, all all the movies he was in in the right. 80s. And he was know, good. Scrooged, Groundhog Day. Yeah. I saw those movies in the theater often yeah. and loved him. Yeah. But- to me, he was just another actor that was funny. Yeah. He wasn't like the funny actor. You know, he was like, like in Ghostbusters as him and Dan Aykroyd. Right. And the other, like, he was, he was funny and good, but it wasn't like I was watching a god on the screen. Right, you right. know what I mean? Like, I guess a, an example today would be like Kevin Hart or something. It's like, yeah, he's funny. He's funny. I, I like seeing his movies, but I'm not going to like, 
put a tattoo of Kevin Hart <laughs> ironically on my sure, arm, sure, you know? Sure. And then at some point, about 10 years ago on the internet, I started seeing, and it was always younger people. Mm-hmm. It was never people my age or older who actually grew up with Bill Murray. You yeah. Know? It was always younger people. And they would be like, oh my God, I have this, you know, shot video on, on someone's cell phone. Bill Murray walked into a, <laughs> into a bar and started, you're not even going to believe this. He got behind the bar and he just started serving drinks to people. Isn't that the most amazing? amazing. I'm not even joking. That's the tone and literally the story. Right. Like Bill Murray walked into a bar, went behind the bar and started serving drinks. Right. And the crowd went berserk. Bananas. The cell phones were out. The internet was aflame <laughs> in this. And and he sort of joked around a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't, you know. And I was like, uh, so what? <laughs> like, if Kevin Hart did that, right? you know, or, you know, Will Ferrell, I feel like, is approaching that sort of level. Yeah, yeah. But I actually think Will Ferrell deserves it because he is legitimately constantly funny to me. Sure. Like, if you grew up with Bill Murray the way I did and you sat through the shitty... Uh, early Saturday Night Live skits <laughs> with Bill Murray, you realize not every Bill Murray song is a hit. Right. And so, now, I love him. You know, Ghostbusters. I mean, Stripes was a major influence on my life growing sure. up. That was a huge movie to me growing up. I mean, me and my cousin Brian, we would quote that movie just <laughs> constantly. It was like in the rotation, you know. Okay. And so... I just find the Bill Murray thing to get, it just feels weird. I can totally see what you're saying. I uh, already loved him. I definitely loved him in the, in our boys movies, you know, Um, like uh, Life Aquatic and in Rushmore and all these things. I really. And that was him sort of having a comeback. Yeah, absolutely. But I definitely haven't gotten the obsession. I didn't quite get it. For a little bit, I thought that it was because of the ja- the one with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. But it wasn't that. It was after that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Then he was in the zombie land, and then that kind of like gave him extra cred with you know, the kids. Yeah, I feel like it was Zombieland, because it sort of coincides with that. Right. Because I remember like people thinking that that scene was hilarious. Sure. And I remember thinking that scene was the dumbest scene <laughs> in the whole movie. Like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, well, come on. Because, like, the whole movie, right, is about sure. zombies. And it's one of the first sort of uh, modern zombie movie, yeah. you know. And then they go into this movie theater, right? And, like, Bill Murray is a zombie. Yeah. Right? And, like is doing this routine, I guess, of... Anyway, I just remember thinking, like... Well, they're at his house, and oh. but he's a tamed zombie or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, it it is weird. I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> Another person is the... This is... And these are much lesser than this, but I consider it in the same category, is Ryan Gosling. Oh, I see. So, Ryan Gosling... Overhyped kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. He doesn't act... Like, if you watch The Driver, for example, he got so much accolades for that, he doesn't really act in that movie. Now, you could say, well, that's the point, but you don't don't praise an actor for not acting. He was in, in, what's it called, right? The Hollywood one. What? 
the one that won that La La, almost La La won Land. Oscar. La La Land. Now, in that movie, he kind of acts a little bit. He's a piano player. But in a lot of movies, like early in his career, like when he was 19, 20, 21, uh-huh. these early movies, he was still acting and doing really well. Uh-huh. But at a certain, like um, Half Nelson, he's good in. There's a lot of movies in his early career. But his late career, I think he just decided, I'm going to be the most stone-faced, non-acting actor that's ever lived. Mm. I don't know why, but he does this in all of his movies. And he might even get chosen because he's yeah, good Yeah, he maybe got typecast then. And I just find it's like, okay, he's fine, and I, I don't mind him. I actually yeah. liked him in La La Land and whatnot. But... He, but people talk about him like he's this god, you know, mm. like, oh, he's this amazing actor. And right. it's just like, um, he's okay. That is interesting because I actually, in La La Land, I, I think I mentioned this. I, I wanted to see that movie not as a musical. I wanted to see the movie of that story. Like the indie movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I actually thought the story was kind of neat. And I actually liked their chemistry or their, their dynamic, I should say. Um, and I didn't mind. I liked both of them, but I just, I just didn't think the the music was there. But anyways, yes, I, I could see he has been overhyped in the last few years. And two more. One is Betty White is another one from Golden Girls. Yeah. So at a certain point, okay. again, five or ten years ago, okay. suddenly she was the internet darling. Oh, okay. And again, having grown up watching her on various things, including Golden Girls, yeah, I always thought, yeah, she's funny. Yeah, but. She ended. She was fetishized in this really weird hmm. way. Like it was whenever you wanted a cute old woman to worship, yeah, you just be like the wonderful, the dynamic, the amazing <laughs> Betty White, you I know. See. And it's like, okay, like sure. why did she get tapped for that? Like, there's so many other people in that category, right? That you know, she became fetishized in a way that I felt. You know, I don't even know what she looks like. I never watched Golden Girls. So this whole thing slipped me. <laughs> oh. And then the last one here is Viola Davis. Oh, from is that from The Help? Uh yeah, I believe. And well, lots of movies. Okay. But <laughs> was she in the in the uh the one with Denzel Washington? The where he's um, <laughs> the one with the, the, the one that was really he acted really well and it was yeah, like yeah you're right yeah, he's yeah. Uh, fences fences he, he was she was the wife she was the wife and she was actually really good in that movie she was yeah I, I thought that she was she was real that was actually one of the performances I liked of so her. what do you not like then well so people it, and it's not so much this year but there was a couple years ago where it was like the way um, reviewers movie reviewers talked about Viola there's like and oh my God, Viola, like she would have this uh, small part and they'd be like, oh my God, Viola Davis. Did she, oh, I, she is amazing. I see. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the dripping uh, reviews she would get. And I'm like, okay, she was fine. And, and so I was a little annoyed by that. I'm like, what, you know, why is they would, you know, cause they would go, the sure. reviewers would talk about the different actors. They get to Viola Davis and it, there was this like, you know, volcano of praise. And I'm like, how does she, what? Like there's, a, there's other yeah. people <clears throat> like in Fences, for example, I think, right. I think uh, Denzel Washington was Denzel amazing it. and completely carried it. I mean, Viola Davis's character, although strong, That's strong. And that scene where she breaks down is amazing. Right. But she's a, 
arguably a small kind of element of that overall. But you know, movie. every scene she's in in every movie, yeah, she's just <laughs> so. So I'm I'm a little annoyed with that. And then you remember because we had an Oscar party, she won the Oscar. Did she for something? I can't remember what it was. Okay, she goes up on stage and she gives this speech. Oh right, where. From my perspective, it seemed like she was trying to act like she was very dramatic at the time. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of what I perceived to be kind of fake crying yeah. and fake, like, hyperventilating. Yeah, I remember I, that. Actually, Lady Gaga did this at the Oscars this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just... Because I feel like I'm totally alone in this. Yeah. But I can tell when people are giving speeches and they're faking an emotion. Mm, you think that Lady Gaga was faking it? If if you rewatch, like Google, after we record, Google her okay. her acceptance speech. Okay. To me, that comes across like she's trying to act like she's really moved. I see. Like she in her mind, she's like, I want, I don't want to just give a speech. I see. I want to. I want to be an internet sensation. You know, I want. I want mm. this to be a viral video. I want people to be affected by this. Okay. And so when I get up there, I'm going to really show people that I'm moved by this win. You know, by getting it. So right. I'm going to. Oh, because you know those videos often. Because you know, whenever there's the Oscars, there's always one or two clips that get sort of passed around. You know, and Viola Davis, I. From my memory, I remember having that reaction, and I remember standing up at the Oscar party and going like, "Fake!" And everyone, <laughs> in, everyone in the room was like, "Boo!" Boo. <laughs> uh, oh man. Okay, okay. Let's try to rip through these questions, Brito, real quick. What bands are you supposed to like but don't? Oh, oh yeah, right. Bands that you're supposed to like but don't. So, oh my God, this is gonna be so bad. But first of all, I just watched the Motley Crue docu- uh, docudrama, the that movie Dirt. Yeah. Did you watch it? No. Okay. It is, is it entertaining. Okay. Very entertaining. But docudrama? that's a band. Well, no, it's it's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, okay. It's a biopic. <laughs> okay. That's a band where you're supposed to like it, and I don't. Well, I don't think you're supposed to like it. Well, someone's supposed to like it. Well, people who are are your age and my age and a little bit younger are supposed to like it. Well, I mean, what I'm saying is... People I sh- who are I, into that kind of music. But I would show up to school. This was like in eighth and ninth grade. I would show up to school and like many of my friends and many of my classmates were gushing over Motley Crue. Oh, really? And I'm like, eh? Whereas were, were I they, did love Guns N' Roses. Were they, well, yeah, because Guns N' Roses was so much they better. They were better. Yeah. We're a good time. Right. Is that Motley Crue? Da, da, so da. Motley Crue's like, girls, 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 and he's the one that got Dr. Feelgood, you know, all these kinds of songs, yeah. which they're fine. They're catchy, but- Not you know, good. Not good songs. Yeah, they're awful. So I, that's a band that you're- Well, I mean, you're right. It's not like everyone is supposed to like them, Well, but- So I think a better way to think about this is what, what bands in your circle- In my circle. Where people- you that you normally respect. I see. You know what I mean? Because like we could point okay. to, to like the chain smokers and shit, you know? <laughs> or like Katy Perry and say, you know, we're supposed to like that and we don't. You know, that's fair. I just felt because like they just put out this movie, and I think the general consensus, like if you if you walk down the street here in America, 
and you look at people our age and you raise up the devil sign, you go, Molly Crew. Most people be like, yeah. No. I think so. Not that. I think if you like that specific thing, that's for metal dudes that I grew up with for sure. I don't. But but if you ask them, yeah, did they like you know did did they really like Motley Crue, especially your age because you're a few years younger than me? Um, uh, for sure, there's a lot of people who would sing along with with. I guess what I mean is that Poison didn't survive this way. No one would walk around today admitting that they liked Poison. Well, part of the reason was because Motley Crue, from my memory, and I could be wrong, actually emerged out of more heavy rock uh, sound. So by the time they mainstreamed, they were already... Because I remember when I was really young, when I, like in 1980, 1981, Motley Crue was sort of like this dangerous band. And then in the later 80s, they totally sold out and started doing more like Bon Jovi stuff. You well, know? maybe that's the only stuff I knew. Right. Because I only knew them when they came on the radio. So, But my point is, is yeah. that the reason why people who like that genre respect Motley Crue in a yeah. way, I think is because of that. It's sort of like with Van Halen, for example. Yeah. Like if you just heard, uh, you know, Panama, yeah. you'd be like, oh, a cheesy band from the 80s. Sure. But uh, they had legitimate hard rock not hard rock but like legitimate like rock anthems that are respected prior to 1984 coming out you know what i mean so i, I think guess. i think molly crew had that that sort of like legit yeah cred like yeah but see to me it was always a bullshit argument because like when um first of all at the time i was into way heavier shit because i was into like death metal and to me, that was, even though now I think it's crap, It was I still liked it better than the Motley Crue songs. Oh, yeah. Motley and, Crue is, the, especially when they sold out, it's awful. And when Guns N' Roses came out, they were heavy, like yeah. dark. It was good. And okay. realer. Yeah. And realer. Okay. So anyways, that was one. But I, I see what you're saying. So I'm going to try to uh, keep it closer to the... To the okay. Uh, so here's one that I think in my current circle of friends, people really like. And I don't. And this is uh, fudge. Don't red say the, hot don't chili say peppers. The, oh, don't say. I thought you were going to say the Strokes or something. No, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, it's. I've loved songs of them, especially when I was in high school. But in the long run, I don't really care for it. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. I don't know if our it's kind of sacrilege. No, I mean who? Everyone loves the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Who among our friends would beat you up for not liking the Red I mean, Hot people went to Lollapalooza and no, Lollapalooza. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I was I'm, afraid to bring it up because I don't know. No, my list is, is I think, much more to the point. Like Oasis. I don't like Oasis no, but that, that see, but Okay, but that's a perfectly fine thing to say. You love Oasis. I, I like Oasis songs, but I hate their fucking attitude. Well, and they certainly but, only had one good album. So when we went karaoke boxing a couple yeah. of years ago yeah. with Shun and all them, sure. you guys sang Oasis yeah. songs whenever you had a chance. Well, because, you know, Shun loved Oasis. But so if, you guys were just singing and loving Oasis, and I'm sitting in this karaoke box <laughs> enduring songs, many of which I don't even remember. Okay, look, I, I will grant you this. So in that situation, I'm saying yeah. I feel like I'm supposed to like Oasis, and I do not like I, Oasis. I totally hear you. But at the same time, you're talking to the wrong guy about it because I never loved Oasis. I just loved some of their songs. Well, let me go on with my list Okay, here. go on with your list. Uh, Nine Inch Nails. 
Oh. So you love Nine Inch Nails. Oh, okay. Oh, and okay. A lot that's, of, that's a hard example. So a lot. I'm wearing a Depeche Mode shirt Ooh, right now. Yeah. A lot of people love Depeche Mode. Yeah. Would love Nine Inch Nails. Well, yeah. But I've never... I mean, oh, I, I don't think man. they're bad. I don't think they're nearly sure. as bad as like Motley Crue or something. Oh, my God. But I've never been like, yeah, put on head like a hole. All I know is when I... So here's, here's my story. I was in high school... It was 10th grade. I just moved to this country. And I had you just... Didn't, you didn't know any better. Well, I had just made this little group of friends, starting with Ron. Ron was like my first... And I discovered that there were songs that I loved, that Ron loved, but I didn't know really the band names. It's just that I knew what they, their top 40 hits were. And we started realizing we had a lot in common because we liked the Pesh Mode and we liked the Cure and we liked the Razor and stuff like this. Well, in our group at school... This one guy who was older than me and was kind of like the rough and tumble one in the group, he wore this leather jacket with the letters N-I-N on the back. And I was like afraid to ask what it was because I didn't want to seem like an idiot. But finally, I was like, all right, what's N-I-N? And they all look at me like, dude, Nine Inch Nails? I'm like, what is that? You haven't heard of Nine Inch Nails? I'm like, no. And so they're all kind of making fun of me about it. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to listen to it. So one day, this exchange student, Ron Graff, picks me up from my house, and, and I get in, and I see the album. I'm like, oh, this exchange is Exchange student from where? From Germany. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, this, this is that Pretty Hate Machine album. Is that Nine Inch Nails? He's like, yeah. You haven't heard it? I'm like, no. So he puts it in, and I couldn't believe my ears, dude. When the sounds start happening, I'm like, what the hell? Is this guy like grabbing raw digital sounds and just like... Injecting him onto the CD without like filters, like what's going on? It sounded so different, yeah, so energetic, yeah, so crazy. And I get that, and I respect it, but I never in my life like decided to listen to okay. a Nine Inch Nails song. If it's on, I'm not going to turn. You're it also off. a little older than me, so maybe right. it missed you that way. Yeah, that's possible yeah. for sure. Because Nine Inch Nails got real popular when I was fully into rock. Okay, so that one's definitely them's fighting words. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this is you're not going to relate to this one, but Sonic Youth. I definitely, actually, I would have. You know what's so funny? I almost said Sonic Youth because when that stupid song "Runaway Train." Yeah. Oh no, not Runaway Train. Sorry, you're thinking uh, Goo Goo Dolls. No, 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 no. That's not Goo Goo Dolls either. Oh. That is uh, the guy Dolls who was dating on a runaway. Yeah, train. he was dating uh, Winona Ryder. Okay. Uh, it's Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum. Yeah, but I, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, Soul Asylum. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean that. I think to this day, I had Google Dolls and Soul Asylum as the same band until you I just see. said that. That's funny. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, but I didn't mean that. I meant actually Soul, uh, Sonic Youth because they're sort of part of the whole noise kind of rock. Right. There's Among my sort of alternative punk rock circle Sonic Youth is a band you're supposed to love. You're supposed to love it. And I'm like... Mm. They're the godfathers of a lot of that shit. I mean, again, I'm not going to necessarily turn off the music, but I mean, I might some of their songs, but I'm not, I've never been like, yeah, Sonic Youth, put it on. Another band is Muse. <sighs> well, I mean, I do love their songs, but not... But okay, go ahead. Tell me why. <laughs> well, because they're so good. I mean... They, they are this, so good. This is kind of like... This is me beating myself up because okay. when when I listen to Muse and yeah. watch them play, this is a this is a yeah. power trio yeah. creating like 
some of the best <laughs> rock music that's ever been made, and the and his singing voice and the writing and his, the, his guitar playing, his singing, the right, the, the drumming, epic. and yeah, and and I'm like, wow, why don't I like this? Sure, you know, like I, I mean, I'm like, it's good, and I'll yeah. listen to it, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, play some Muse. <laughs> you know? uh, the other band is the Replacements. So, um, yeah, I don't know them well enough, but I know that everyone a- adores them. Yeah, it's probably more my generation as opposed yeah. to yours is that when you grew up, you know, in the 80s and you listened to alternative rock. Yeah. The Replacements was one of those like foundational bands that basically, you know, like it's like R.E.M. or something. They kind of got the ball rolling. Right. And I've never liked The Replacements. You know, I actually um, had a really good friend in the 90s who that was their favorite band and they mm. listened to them all the time. And I just had to like act like I kind of liked them, you know. Oh, um, I, I, I have one. What? Ryan Adams. Not oh, Brian yeah. Adams. Ryan Adams. That's a good one. Because especially about 10 years ago, he was the darling of the Kona indie music scene. And everyone would speak about his songwriting in these amazingly glowing terms. And like, sort of like El- Elvis Costello, kind of like, oh, he's like the, the North American Elvis Costello. And then I would, I would get his albums, genuinely trying to see what the fuck the fuzz was about. And I would listen to it and I'm like, uh, I guess. Yeah. They're okay songs. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other band here, my last one here is The White Stripes. Oh, okay. That one is, ooh, that was tough. I love the White Stripes. So, like, I like them. And yeah. when, you know, a certain ooh. White Stripes song comes, <laughs> like, uh, Fell in Love with a Girl, like, yeah. I love, that's a that's a great track. But yeah. they never had another track like that track. And a lot of their other songs I respect and I like. And, I'll, and I, I like the Reconteurs, as, you know, uh, Jack Black's other band. Um, I like it. But the White Stripes, so I, I had some friends who were really into the White Stripes when they were big and would play them all the time. And I was just kind of like, yeah, you oh, know. Were you into Led Zeppelin? I love Led Zeppelin, yeah. Okay, because I feel like if you love Led Zeppelin, you kind of have to love the White Stripes. No. The yeah. White Stripes is a – and he's not even trying to be Led Zeppelin. He's he's trying to – the White Stripes is trying to be like this stripped-down kind of bluesy – I guess in the direction of Led Zeppelin, but Led Zeppelin songs are melodic, interesting, oh, well written, well performed. The White Stripes. I mean, I realize that he doesn't have anything like uh, uh, Evermore, Battle of Evermore, or anything like that. But the hard stuff, like especially when I saw him live, yeah, I'm sure he he's was right. like a one man hard Led Zeppelin song. I respect him to yeah. death. I mean, I, I I like Jack Black, <laughs> Jack White, Jack White. <laughs> I, I like I like Jack Black too. Yeah. Um, did you know Jack Black has a has a new YouTube channel? Yes, I watch it every Friday. It is so entertaining. Yeah. He's got that big beard and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, have you watched all of them? No, he, he, I've seen like cut the beard. Oh, did he? Okay, because no, he's back on the set of the of uh, the new Jumanji movie. Oh, okay. And he so he films there sometimes. Okay. But anyway, um, so having said all that, these are bands. Now, I could name a lot of other bands that I really legitimately would turn off. So none of these bands, Oasis, Sonic Youth, Nine Inch Nails, Muse, Replacements, White Stripes, I'm not going to turn it off. Okay. I may even really like a few of their tracks. Like, there's a couple sure. of Oasis songs that I really like. Sure, that, sure. Uh, 
maybe I don't really want to know. know. Like I, I really like that song. Right. Um, the the reason why I really like it is because there's one of their early songs, and I heard it at a time when they weren't really very popular, and so I could sort of right just it didn't take have it, the hype. Just sort of take it as a song instead mm-hmm. of like the the you know thing that they became. But so if you like you know, Muse, and you're like, Kirk, how do you not like... I'm not saying I don't like Muse. I'm just saying, compared to people around me, I've, I'm supposed to love these bands. Sure. And I don't love these sure. bands. Well, I had I had another one of those, I guess... Actually, I had a few of those in the early 90s. Um, Jane's Addiction. Okay. I loved Jane's Addiction. I know. I, everyone loved Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I think if I listened to them now, I'd feel differently. I initially got turned off by them because the first exposure I had to them was being caught stealing on MTV. Hmm. And first of all, I didn't quite get the music. I was like, it seems so like offbeat or something, right? right. Now I can appreciate it. But the second thing was a lot more to do with my Catholic upbringing. I got creeped out by the video. I'm like, first of all, it looked like they were transvestites or something. And at the time, I, that was a real no-no for me. Yeah. And also, they were stealing and they were being caught stealing and being proud of it. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> right. So at the time, uh, there was this really clear progression from Montley Crew and other bands like yeah. that to Guns N' Roses right. to Jane's Addiction to Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. to all the other bands that copied them. Yeah. And when the first time I heard Jane's Addiction, and I guess you could throw in there like Nirvana and um, sure. Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden. The first time I heard these bands, I was so off-put, as you're saying. It's just like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, where, what are you doing? Why are they criminals? <laughs> well, not the lyrics, but because that was actually a later album, the one you're talking about for Jane's Addiction. Oh, you mean the music, like the music. I'm just talking about the music. It was so, you know, like they would do these things where it'd be like, and they'd be quiet, you know, and there'd be these huge dynamic shifts. And I remember being like, what are you, are you practicing? Is this a rehearsal? (laughs) Like what happened there? And it took me a while to realize what was happening and what they were doing. And then once I was acclimated to the form, I loved it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it it was so different at the time. And right. it was so avant-garde, really. Now when you hear it, you're like, well, it's so obvious. But right. it's because so many bands copied them after that. That's what I'm saying. I feel like if I actually listened to them now, I would appreciate what they were doing. Yeah. And I just got the wrong impression. But at the time, when everyone was like, I love this, I was secretly in a closet going, I don't like this. I can get that. Um, you know, uh, the converse of this whole thing is a band that, no, actually, this isn't really a converse, but there's a band like no one talks about, and I understand why, because I, I would understand if most people don't get it or like it, but uh, Guided by Voices. Oh, yeah. Because they have all these little nuggets of amazing writing. I love Guided right. by Voices. Yeah, but yeah. it's just like no one really talks about them. And, well, because they're so anti-commercial. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, like they'll just... it. Their albums sound like demo, t- like totally, like bad demo. And he's tapes. done like a billion of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, they actually the Strokes and Guided by Voices were on Family Feud. Oh, together, like the real, wow. like the real show Family. That's Feud. That's hilarious. Yeah, like back back in the day. Um, all right, final question, Berto. Favorite Star Wars prequel? So there's two, right? Solo and Rogue 
Rogue, uh, what's it? Rogue One. I guess there's the other three. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually, uh, recently I was thinking that I probably misremembered and episode three was actually probably a really good movie. And then I saw a clip online and I remember, and then I was like, no. Wh- which clip? Is, it was a Yoda battling the Emperor. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is actually worse than I thought. In the Senate. Uh, this was when he first, uh, he arrives at his chamber. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God. And the lines are so forced. Yeah. Uh, I was like, why is the Emperor and Yoda using lightsabers? It's, like, so stupid. Yeah. And disappointing. Like, my biggest heartbreak of all time out of all the prequel bullshit was that all along I assumed that Yoda was that old dude in the Kung Fu movies that could just sit there and quietly kick your ass. Right. That's what he should have done. Uh, but, but anyways, that being said, Rogue One. <laughs> but what about one, two, three? Oh, so you're really talking about those three. Uh, I guess probably two. Yeah? Maybe three. Have you seen two in a while? Okay, three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't remember them very well. Okay, so... I would say Rogue One as well. Sure. But if we're talking about one, two, and three, I would definitely say three. three. I would okay. de- Revenge of the Sith is okay. by far. The now, better movie. that's a bad scene. But honestly, it's not that bad. Like, it's not sand in my butt bad. Well, and the reason, sorry, but the reason it is bad for me is because it's sort of the emblematic problem I, with the I whole guess. Thing. But to me, it's still, you know, it's a fairly good action scene if you just sort of go, okay, well, I guess Yoda isn't what I thought he was. And don't forget, 3 also has the, no! Right. So, there, so to me, that's, the, that's really the worst scene of, of Revenge of the Sith. Well, and Le- uh, the Leia, di- or not Leia, Amidala dying with them going like, oh, she just gave up the will to live. Right. Don't we have, like, amazing medicine that can, like, recover right. hands right. and... <laughs> right, so there are problems for sure, but uh, but there's a marked difference between three and the other two movies. Like you can okay. tell, like someone must have got involved or something, okay? Because it's a it's a better script. There's much less like sta- stat- static dialogue. Oh, okay, okay. Um, the movie moves pretty quick. Uh, they have to get to a lot of. I, I do remember. In all, in all fairness, I remember after watching three. I do remember feeling like okay. Well, I guess if they had all been like this, you know, I, I remember that feeling. Yeah. Um, two is, I think, the worst. Is so, two the one with the sand? I hate sand. Yes. So <laughs> I actually rewatched uh, uh, two uh, just to answer this question. Okay. And I just want to tell you the first, like, 20 scenes. Okay. Just to tell you, just to remind you of how okay. bad this movie is. It's in the writing, really, yeah. you know. It's Lucas. So scene one... You have the attempted assassination on Padme. Oh, right. With that little... With, uh, and then with, she's, with, she has the double, right? With the double. Yeah. And it's very bad CGI, by yeah. the way. It's horrible. It looks, it looks like the sort of thing you would see when they're doing like the storyboarding, you know? It's right. really bad. And the assass- assassination attempt, like no one... Like it seems so ill-conceived anyways. Right. Like who's... You know? Why are they trying to right. kill her? Um, number two... The second scene is Padme in the Senate... When she's giving the whole little speech. When she's giving us speech. Yeah. Three, Jedi have a meeting with Palpatine, and there's just in Palpatine's office. There's and a they're ta- just talking. They're just talking. Four, <clears throat> Jedi council meeting. No they're just dr- talking. No drama. 
you know, they, the, at this point, the Jedi, they don't know anything's wrong, but yeah. they're like, kind of feels like something's, something's wrong, right. but I don't know. Maybe, maybe everything's fine. There's no, there, there's no drama. Fifth, fifth scene, you know, we're like 25 minutes yeah. into the movie. Uh, another assassination of, uh, assassinated Steph Padme. This is actually when this is, there's an actual, uh, you know, chasing Obi-Wan and Anakin. Oh, right. They're in that high rise yeah. and something tries to come through the window and then they right. give chase on their little speeders. Right. So this is actually not a bad scene. It's kind sure. of fun. You get to see Obi-Wan and Anakin working together. There's some like back and forth. This is probably the highlight of the beginning of, of the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Um, scene eight, another Jedi meeting in the, in the <laughs> Jedi Council. Isn't this where, uh, Obi Wan is com- or uh, Anakin is complaining all the time. He's yeah. Uh, nine Anakin and Palpatine talk. Oh okay. Because Anakin goes to Palpatine. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know the Jedi doesn't doesn't get me, but it's it's not compelling talking. Right. It's it's boring static shots. A lot of, of talking. Of talking. Um, scene ten. Anakin and Padme talk. <laughs> this is the the one where he like he's not happy, and then she's yeah. yeah. Um, 11, Yoda, Mace Windu, and Obi-Wan are talking. <laughs> uh, 12, Obi-Wan goes to a library and talks with a librarian. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thir- 13, I mean, goes to a library. <laughs> talks to a librarian. <laughs> okay. 13, uh, Obi-Wan talks with the younglings and Yoda. Uh, four- oh, and they have all the ridiculous... Oh, my God. That's such a crappy scene 14 too. okay we're well into the movie now because the younglings have the younglings are wearing the fucking helmet the blaster helmet yeah that was just a blaster helmet in the millennium falcon that obi-wan used as a temporary prop to pro- prove a point oh god but somehow in the past that was their official training material oh my god <laughs> um uh, let's see uh 14 obi-wan and mace windu talk <laughs> 15, Anakin and Padme talk. So this is an action fantasy in space movie. Right. And we have, okay, 16, 16th scene, Anakin and Padme have a meeting with the queen on, <laughs> in, um, you know, uh, pa- pa- Padme's home planet. Um, 17, lots of Anakin and Padme talking. That's the sand stuff. I hate sand. Um, 18, everywhere. 18, Obi-Wan goes to Kamino and has more talking with more people. <laughs> now, 19, there's a pretty good fight between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett. Oh, okay. On, when it's raining and oh, right, right. They're, they're on the landing pad. That's when he's investigating what happened with the clones and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so that gives you an idea of how bad the script was. <laughs> And the talking was oh was God. never dynamic. It was right. always just like people standing around or walking slowly and talking in what was clearly a green screen room. You right. know what I mean? Um, anyway, so the rest of the movie is much more talking. Anakin goes to Tatooine. Uh, there's that whole scene, which isn't compelling. Uh, there's a terrible action scene in the in the factory on Geonosis. Oh right, when they're it's the video game scene. They yeah. did it on purpose, so they're like, "We need a video game." So could you guys show us what you would do in a video game? Yeah, it's a platformer, um, like Mario yeah. uh, or you know Donkey Kong or something. Right. Um, there's now the the ending of Attack of the Clones. There's a humongous battle on Geonosis, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. 
especially for its time. Okay. There's you have the different uh, you have the Trade Federation. Is it and, an, a space battle? No, it's on Geonosis, the the planet. The the um, is Geonosis the which planet? They're the is place there? where they're making a lot of the droids, I believe. Oh, okay. And it's where the Trade Federation is okay. uh, meeting to like it's like kind of like a home base for them. Okay. Okay. And Anakin and, and Padme and Obi-Wan end up there to investigate something and they get captured. And then, or no, Obi-Wan gets captured. Uh, Anakin and Padme go to Geonosis to save him. They get captured. Is this with General Grievous? Um, or is Grievous in the third one? Grievous is in the third one, yeah. So this, okay. So who's so, a bad guy here? Uh, Dooku. Oh, Count Dooku, right. Dooku gets introduced in this movie, which, they, is, a, which is a whole other problem. It's like, yeah. so who's Dooku? And then you had like, uh, Devious or whatever the uh, you know yeah. master master Sifo-de- or whatever yeah. si- whatever anyway it, it, and the, so the fight on Geonosis isn't bad and then there's a fight with Dooku between Anakin Obi Wan and, yeah. and Yoda also not bad but Yoda flips around which is awful this is his first squirrel outing yeah so oh. that is Attack of the Clones which is just awful I I would I mean. Uh, that might be Phantom, the worst. Then Phantom Menace is better than that. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's it's, terrible. It's pretty bad, um, especially when Lucas was so criticized for Phantom Menace. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? You'd think he'd be like, mm, "Yeah, whatever I did last time, not a good idea." But I think he only he the only lesson, quote unquote, was to have way less of Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, well, and that's what they did. But he, you know, that was yeah. not. The problem, Lucas. Right. And he thought, like, well, it'll be a darker movie, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite parts of the prequels? Okay, okay. So that's a fair question. And I will say, I was so excited when I first saw that that preview for episode one. So seeing episode one, I do remember clearly when I first saw Obi-Wan show up, young Obi-Wan show up, I know it was a boring scene in, in retrospect, but when I first saw him show up, I was so excited. The trade negotiations? Yeah. and But I just like, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Obi-Wan. And then when they start using their force powers, it was kind of cool because you saw him cutting through the door. You saw him propelling the droids. You saw him running and stuff. I was like, okay, that's cool. Cool stuff, you know? Because uh, they, they ran fast. Remember, like they, they, they were showing us more Jedi powers. So I got really excited. So that was neat. Um, I think... I think even though now I, you know, whatever, I think the pod race was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, but I, I definitely the fight with uh, Darth Maul, Darth Maul, even though it was an anticlimactic thing for Darth Maul, but it, the fight was cool. Yeah. And everyone cites that as a as a good scene generally. Right. The music was good. The, dun, yeah. Dun, dun. yeah. Uh, and it was an emotional moment. Like they yeah. actually managed to make me care a bit. Yeah, Qui Gon yeah. gets killed. Yeah. So, what about the other prequels? Any other scenes? Well, the part of the problem is I just don't remember them very well. I will say, <laughs> I will say that I guess. I mean, the, have you ever rewatched them? I've only rewatched them in watching the uh, ro- uh, red red letter media reviews uh, of them. Oh, really? Yeah, the psychopath reviews. Interesting. Because uh, even though I don't like them, I I, I like them enough to watch. I like the story yeah. enough, I guess, to rewatch a occasionally. Right, right. I, I'm saying that the Yoda scene jumping around and, and having a lightsaber fight, I'm saying that that's kind of emblematic of the problems. But the other thing that really destroyed me 
it's, it's maybe such exaggeration, but dude, just obvious continuity problem. R two D two, R two D two for sure. But Princess Leia claims that she has memories of her mother. Right. What is that? Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of problems, but that one in particular really we're, hurt. We're, we're, um, ask us for favorite parts of the prequels. So, so I have nothing in the other two. Um, well, that's surprising. I, th- I think you'll. I don't remember it very oh, well. Okay. Well, okay. So the scene where Anakin talks about the sand. <laughs> um, no, uh, the the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. There's a huge space battle above Coruscant. Okay. It's really really cool. I thought it was pretty cool. Okay, that's yeah. probably cool. Um, and it's long. Oh yeah, too. yeah, I remember. And there, uh, what's his name? Anakin is a is flying. And Anakin and Obi Wan yeah, are working yeah, yeah. together. That is that is a good. That's a good scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a, a pretty g- good amount of fighting in the whole beginning of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Cause, More action. Because not only do they do the space battle, but they eventually get onto a ship with, and they have with, to fight. with R2. Yeah. They're fighting a bunch of droids, yeah. and they're also fighting with... Um, but those droids were so non-threatening. But then they start fighting the, the upper... Spinny ones. The upper... Upper end droids that have those sword things, those, oh, okay. and they fight Grievous, and then there's all this other, and R two has his own little adventure, and then they crash. But Grievous also pissed me off because it's like, oh, four lightsabers, like it's just, yeah. But I don't know, it 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 kind of works for me. Plus, but it, to me, it seemed like the wrong way to escalate things because it's like, okay, so now the way that this is more threatening is he's a robot with forearms with spinning lightsabers. Right. It, Why is a robot a Jedi? I don't get it. Right. It was kind of dumb. It was like, I thought only Jedi and Sith used the lightsaber. Yeah. Now, like, this random right. thing can use it. Yeah. But but I, th- I feel like in terms of, like, sure. a solid Star Wars-ish yeah, yeah. movie. More action, for sure. Action. Yeah. No Senate dialogue, and I think that's why I liked it the best at the time. Right, yeah. um, and I like the fight between Obi Wan and Anakin. At yeah, the that end. was a that was an intense scene. Yes, yeah, very emotional, yeah. and and I thought paid off. And yep. I I believed that Anakin was turning to the dark side. Yeah, um, and I I just liked it. I will still say, uh, although all that is true. Um, in the in the prequels, they resorted on acrobatics to to make kind of intense fights, right? And you you know you could say well CGI it's they didn't, acrobatics sure exactly, and you could say well you know it's because in the old ones not only did they not have the CGI but I mean the big dude probably couldn't even move that fight. You know what? I don't know if it was that because he was so influenced by samurai movies that those fights were much more like a samurai fight yeah. in the old movies, and that made it. In my opinion, way superior. Yeah, when you see in Empire and in Return the fight, the fights between Luke and Darth Vader, um, those are tense moments, very and tense. no, very little flipping. And you know that there's this stress of like that thing can cut. Yeah, anything in a moment's notice. It feels real. Yeah, because they actually trained with actual sword fighters. Right. You know what I mean, and. It was a, you know, they tried to make it a real sword fight. Right. And so, uh, for sure. And I there get was that. so much, and there was so much in the dialogue that was intense. And you, I'm sorry, I'm turning this into a bash session, but you opened the can of worms. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I, I would say Rogue One, Rogue One is one of my favorite Star Wars movies of all time. I mean, it, you and I 
Loved it. I mean, I, I, I did see it again, and I will say it lost something on the second viewing. But I almost – I'm fine with that. Like, Because, you know, in life, you only get so many amazing experiences, right, before your time is up. And I can put that watching Rogue One for that first time as one of the highlights. In, in the theater. In the theater. Yeah. And that ending with Darth and this – oh, my God, is oh. so – I was in tears. Because we saw it opening. Yeah, me too. We saw it opening night and there was no leaks. So we had no idea. idea. And then I'm like, I'm like, wait. And they did it so beautifully. I'm getting chills thinking about it. We're such nerds, by the way. Yep. Is I'm like, huh, that kind of looks like the the ship that that Leia was on. (laughs) Like it kind of has that that look to it. And then the guy runs into the hallway yes. and I'm like, wait a second. Now it really, you know, they perfectly <laughs> yeah. kind of transitioned you yeah. into that old set. Yeah. And then, you know, cause you see the helmets and you see the, your blasters. Yeah. I'm like, okay, wait, are we, are we like on, is this a thing? What's happening <laughs> here? And then all, and then when you see, uh, the hallway and then you see the ship, like dislodge mm-hmm. from the larger ship and you're just like, yeah, oh my God. you're just like, yeah. Well, and the thing is, you had never seen Darth kick so much ass. Yeah. And that scene, even though it's sad because he's kicking the rebel's ass, so amazing. Yeah. Oh. And in a way that was way more consistent with the lore, with the canon. Right. Because he's not jump. And I know the books went crazy and stuff. But from what you had seen in episodes four That's through six. That's not considered six, canon anymore. Right. What we had seen from, ep- seen from episodes four through six was that Jedi could do amazing things, but within that reasonable, you know, range. Well, and, you know, Darth Vader was in that suit for a reason. Yeah. He, he had problems physically. Yeah. And he was so powerful, he didn't need to flip around. Right. He could just, you know. Use force. Yeah, he did. Whatever, all the various things he did as he was going down the hallway. (laughs) um, Ironically, the one thing he should have done was force grab the the, the plants. Right, right. (laughs) Somehow that slipped his mind. I kind of wondered if he knew what he was exactly after, you know. Yeah. Like he was, he knows someone's got the thing he needs, but he's not sure what it is. Yeah. Sure. But I'm sure making excuses here. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. That's like the one time you really see Darth Vader yeah. in a legitimate way. Yeah. In a very rapid fashion, just right. completely destroying people. And the thing to keep in mind is this is still years before return. So he was at what I would call at his power peak. You know, like that range of time, he's probably the most powerful he had ever been. Years in the Star Wars universe, the, yeah. he's probably just like a few years before Return. Yeah, right. But by, by the time he faces Luke in Return, his health has been declining further. Oh, I see. Is what I mean. Uh, the, the other thing that's amazing about it is you kind of, because knowing what we know, you kind of get this sense of he is... The the best example I can give is this in return in uh, not return in uh, the Lord of the Rings. When I was younger, I never quite understood what was such a big deal about Gandalf, because I was so used to seeing wizards that could do like shoot flames from their fingers or whatever. But as I got older, and especially as I as I listened to a lot of the Silmarillion and all these things, I started getting oh I see his magic is influence, right. Like, he can influence events and people over long periods of time. So, you kind of get the sense of, like, the force of nature that Darth Vader is. Not only that he can influence this whole 
empire with his presence and his power. But in that moment, also show, okay, but if you need me to kick ass, this is what you get. Right. And it's just like the perfect uh, moment. (laughs) Um, Well, this episode has been pretty meandering. And if anyone's listening, they, they must still, they must really be nerds or... Right. They're asleep right now or something. Um, <laughs> any final things you want to talk about, Bruno? I guess... Well, I guess uh, we have we have a episode nine coming out this year. Episode nine's coming out. And you've made me want to uh, torture myself by going back and rewatching the, the prequels. Yeah. Um, I think definitely three is absolutely watchable. There are some, right. there are some scenes like the no scene, but if you're prepared for it, you're just kind of like, okay, here it comes. So one of the things, um, so I, I recently recorded, I, I, I sadly, what, I'm late on my next YouTube videos because we had, um, what's your next topic? Contratomps. Uh, so my next topic, which I already filmed that I actually need to refilm some of it is, uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh. But coming up soon is going to be one of probably many things that I'll do about Star Wars. And I'm wondering if I should actually start with the good stuff or if I should start with the bad stuff. <laughs> but anyways, Star Wars is obviously going to play a large role. Because my, my whole premise for my videos are things that I've enjoyed that, um, that had a meaning to me and, that I, and maybe some psychological things about it or whatever. And that I just want to geek out and, and blab about. Um, I sort of started with the wrong thing because I wanted, I had like this, Desperate need to talk about the show Sally Forever that I had just seen. But that one what is like sort of out of character compared to the rest of the videos I want to make. Because most of them are going to be about shit I liked when I was a kid in the 80s. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was a bit confused as to why you're doing Sally Forever in your debut episode. I'm just like, that's a pretty niche uh, market you're going It after. is. And I, I, I was almost treating it as a, as a test for the system, for me talking in yeah. front of a camera and all these kind of things. I mean, the thing is, is if you stick with this, yeah, then in a couple of years, I'll have content. Well, and you'll know your voice, too, yeah, yeah. Because you know, it, you're you have a. I just, I'm guessing that if you keep with this, there'll there'll be a more consistent like. Right expectation or something or some clearer kind of direction because right now i think you're still kind of feeling it. yeah that's my thing like essentially my expectations of this thing are these are things i want to talk about to myself (laughs) but uh you know i also i have this kind of narcissistic thing where i want to just kind of film myself because (laughs) well (laughs) i know but there's two reasons one of them is for for most of my youth i didn't have videos or photos of me okay and in the last few years, I've had a lot less of that too, uh, other than this talking. There's a lot of me talking. I have a lot of film of you, but not in the last few years, other oh. than maybe your parties and things like that. Yeah. So I, I've like, you know what? I need some films of me now in my mid forties. Number one, number two, I want to be preserved digitally as well as possible. And I feel like the more I film myself talking in front of a camera, the computer AI will be able to do a better job of that. <laughs> but and why do you care? You'll be dead. I, I'm such a narcissist that the universe will need me to live on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably true. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. If you're still with us, my God, I apologize. <laughs> and please take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs>